The views and opinions expressed on Red Planet are those of the individual and do not necessarily reflect those of Red Planet nor any affiliated or related entities. This podcast is provided for educational purposes only. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Red Planet. This week, Mule and Kira sat down with Ayelet, a 17-year-old activist who recently disrupted an event featuring anti-trans author Abigail Schreer, about their experience as an anti-Zion activist living in Israel. It's a fascinating conversation we found to be very enlightening. Also, German courts are sending anti-fascists to prison for beating up neo-Nazis, and tabloids in Britain have a new street drug to scare citizens with. But first, Kira tries to start a conversation about video games. Um, so Mule. Uh-huh. Do you like video games? Uh, a little bit. I also like video games. What video games do you like? That's a great question. Um, <laughs> all sorts. But uh, the video game that I'm playing right now, and I've been playing a lot of Horizon Zero Dawn. Uh-huh. Do you like Horizon Zero Dawn, the I've video never, game? I, it's too political for me. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Red Planet, where we talk about video games. We don't do that. Uh, it's Mule and Kira Day. And yay! That's yay. why you did such a great intro. It was we... a great intro. So glad. So happy about that. Very, very good. Um, we're going to start the show. In uh, We're moving on swiftly from the cold open. Um, and um, Kira, we'll start with Kira, because there's only two of us. So who else am I going to say? Me? Um... <laughs> Kara, what's the most base thing you did this week? Uh, the most base thing I did this week. Well, uh, other than, you know, existing as a bisexual during Pride. Pride Month. Happy Pride Month, everyone, by the way. It's and I'm a, I'm a newly realized bisexual, so this is my first Pride. Um, so I'm not really quite sure what to do differently this year. Feeling proud? Just be proud, I suppose. Yeah. I'm proud of you. Well, thank you. Um, I also uh, popped uh, into a bar the other day and um, because I was grabbing a drink and I somehow managed to to shoehorn into the conversation trans rights. So I'm pretty proud of that with a bunch of normies. Cool. Yeah, that is good. I don't even know how I counted the topic, but um, I remember one person kind of looking like weirded out, but I was like, yeah, this is going to keep going with it. (laughs) I don't care. And so it it was like a good response then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a good response. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Um, well, Mule, since uh-huh. I since we were all both in the same uh, room at the same time virtually, uh-huh. I I just wanted to ask you a question. If you what if I that? might if I okay, um, what's the most based thing you've done this week? Well, thank you for asking, Kira. Um, I was actually like uh, off last week. I don't know if anyone noticed. Um, probably not, but yeah, so I have had like a whole week of doing nothing this week because I've been ill. So I have nothing to say. I've done zero based things this week, but the Saturday before the last show, I was helping organize the all member meeting that we have every three months or so with GMTU. We basically just like, 
have a meeting to do democracy so to like what's gmtu gmtu in case you don't know is greater manchester tenants union it's the tenants union that i'm mm. part of i'm doing the committee i'm on the committee um and we tried to get more people on the committee that's basically what we were trying to do we didn't do that well unfortunately because some of the roles that we have at the moment that are going on the committee are like quite full-on like we have a treasurer role going and the, to be the treasurer on the committee of GMTU basically means that you make sure all the staff get paid and all the other stuff that we pay for happens and organizing bank accounts and all that. There's no way I can do that. There's no way I'd step up and do that. I'm so shit at maths and money and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, there's no way. And and I think a lot of people were like a little bit overwhelmed by that. Mm-hmm. But the um the meeting itself went really well and um it was really really good to see like a bunch of people there all member meetings don't really have as many people there as our annual general meeting which we'll be having in a couple of weeks in june um but yeah we um yeah we we got like a, a really good turnout this um uh this last all member meeting because normally we get like maybe 10 or, or 15 people there was easily 30 people in the room um so it felt more like an annual general meeting than an mm. all member meeting um, which is a shame because we, we still didn't manage to recruit any people who wanted to be on the committee. We did, however, get some more people interested in doing activism with the union. So more people sort of came up to me because I, I just did a, a little sort of presentation and like spoke about all the different roles. And I spoke about the member solidarity role because that's my role on, on the committee. Um, and obviously there are people who do member solidarity, which is just basically helping people with their disputes in against their landlords or their social housing provider. Um, and, um, you know, I, I explained a bunch about that. I was like, that is the, the bread and butter of the union. And, and you know, if, if you want to get involved and do more activism and help people in your capacity as a tenant and show that solidarity and did like a little mini explainer of solidarity and what it means to do member solidarity in a tenants union, because it's like, well, we're all terrified of getting a section 21 notice, right? We're all terrified of getting a rent rise notice. We're all terrified of any of the things that come with being a tenant. Like literally it's, 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 it's rough, right? It's a rough kind of world out there. So if you have spare time and you're able to like help people understand their rights, understand what landlords can and can't do and, Mm -hmm. you know, help people resist evictions and stuff. That's what solidarity is as a tenant, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Awesome. So that was good. Yeah, we, we got a couple of people from that. And um, that was the most base thing that I did. Not this week, kind of this week, a little bit before this week. Um, but are you I, feeling better, Mule? I am. People want to know. Many people are asking. You, many, you are. Okay, good. Many people are asking. Thank you for asking. Yeah. Um, yeah, I am. I'm, I'm a lot better. Yeah, I just had like... Um, some kind of rhinitis. Okay, like, you know, Tim and Sophie aren't here. So, you know, maybe I can talk about this a little bit more. But I just I just find it like so absurd. You'll appreciate this, Kira, because we've spoken about COVID and stuff like that before on the on the on the show. And it's like, so I went to see like my stepmom and dad, and they've been yeah. away on holiday. Yeah. And <laughs> they were like, they were like really excited to see me. They were like, come on, let's go. We're gonna go to our favorite restaurant and it'd be really nice. And I'm like, yeah, all right, I've not seen you in a while. Let's go. And, um, you know, it was really nice and stuff. I really appreciated the, the meal. They got me the meal and stuff. And, and um, it was great. But then, like, you know, at the end of the meal, like, you know, my stepmom's like, oh, yeah, you know, just coming out the other end of this cold. And my dad's going, yeah, I think I'm getting this cold. And I'm like, you have a cold and you invited me out for a meal. Like, why are we going outside? And they're there, like, getting really defensive, like, oh. And I was like, I was, I was like, so, and, and my stepmom was like, you know, 
we got on the plane and someone just started coughing and I thought, oh, that's it. We're fucked. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm sat there and I'm like, I'm genuinely like going it over in my head. Like, even if you don't think that we should be still wearing masks all the time in like, you know, places like the supermarket or wherever you go and stuff like that. Surely what you've learned from COVID is that like getting on a plane and wearing a mask, like it's going to stop you from getting ill probably, especially if it's like an N95. Do you know what I mean? Like it just two hours of uncomfortableness because that was what my stepmom said. She was like, not even oh, uncomfortable. It's not even uncomfortable. It's literally nothing. I know. I know, I know. <laughs> Can we please? I, I, I literally, she, she was like, oh, it's just really uncomfortable. I don't like wearing it. And, but even if you think it's uncomfortable, even if you think it's uncomfortable, the logic doesn't make sense, right? Because if it's uncomfortable for two hours, would you rather be uncomfortable for two hours or uncomfortable for a whole fucking week and potentially make your friends and loved ones uncomfortable for a week? It's like such a simple... And disable them potentially or kill them. Exactly, right. And then you other know... people also disabled or killed. Exactly. Like this this is the this is the thing. So it stressed me out, but fortunately, it was just um, rhinitis. You know, like when you there's like it was it was like um, some virus, some cold or something, and it's obviously like got into my sinuses and uh, just nasty, nasty, nasty stuff for a week. But I'm doing fine um, now. Thank you very much for asking. But yeah, there you go. Like you know, another example, like you know, of like just how easy it is to like not make someone else sick. Just you know, wear a mask. Like it's not hard. You know, I fucking yeah. Hell. Yep. Anyway, that's also that. I need I need to also remind people that um, many people, including many of our audience members, are immunocompromised. So it's important to also it's not just about thinking of like a person with a normal quote unquote baseline and how they're affected. There's also people that are very immunocompromised or can't get vaccinated for reasons. There are actual people that cannot receive vaccinations, not because they're you know, QAnoners, but because of immunocompromised reasons or from some sort of particular situation medically, um, or they're going through, say, uh, chemotherapy or something. Like, there's lots of different things that prevent people from getting vaccinated. So please give fucks about others. I know this should be a no-brainer considering the audience that is listening right now, but you would be surprised. Mm-hmm. Is the how many people just would like to tweet the tweet and talk the talk, but can't be bothered to put a piece of fabric in front of their faces? Oh, so many people like to tweet the tweet. And mm-hmm. that, that's not even about this. That's just in general. <laughs> well, like, I just I just don't see how, like, when we're talking like revolution, we're talking about solidarity. We're talking yeah. about people, you know, making difficult decisions in order to better the world. And and then I see those same people that pretend that they're about that, not able, not, sorry, sorry, not willing to put a piece of fabric in front of their face. I, I, I just, I, it makes me a little jokerified. And so please don't make me joker. I'm real little, little, I don't want a joker. Don't, don't, don't do it. Be considerate. If your um, solidarity does not include uh, disabled people, immunocompromised people, then it means nothing. And that is a fact. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, speaking of our <clears throat> viewers, we do have based viewer, Marion. Uh, Marion says the most based thing I did this week was co-hosting a workshop on tenant organizing at the Montreal Anarchist Book Fair. That sounds really really awesome uh the workshop was hosted by the montreal autonomous tenants union which i had joined a year ago because of red 
planet. Thank you so much based. for to do this. Yeah, well, that based. is super based, Marion. And um, yeah, holy shit. Like, I, I genuinely like it's it's when I hear that someone's joined like a tenants union as well, specifically, obviously that warms my heart because, you know, I love housing activism. I think it's like really, really good. It's really important. Everybody needs a house, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it's, yeah, it's just so, so, so important. Um, yeah. And it's really cool that you're like, not just, you've not just joined a, a, a tenants union. You've, you've gone out there and you've gone like, right, I'm going to, I'm going to use some of my, um, you know, free time, my solidarity time to like so cool. run a workshop. Yeah. Really awesome mm-hmm. stuff, Marion. So thanks so much for Great. Uh, submitting that. So and, uh, we want to yeah. know what base things y'all have been doing, just like Marion uh, uh, submitted uh, their, their, um, what they did. Uh, you can also be featured on the show. So you can message us on Twitter, on Instagram, or on TikTok, or you can send an email to based at redplanetshow.com. And you can include your name and pronouns if you want, um, if you're cool with that. But if you're not, if you want to be anonymous, you can also do that. Uh, whatever you're, you're comfortable with. We just want to be able to showcase what more of y'all are doing because what you're all doing is really, really cool and really inspiring. So thank you, Marion. And, and uh, send us your base stuff. Yeah, the point of this show is to inspire people to go out and do stuff. Um, so if you're going out and you're doing stuff, we want to hear about that. And, you know, if 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 it becomes so much that you are, you know, actively organizing and, you know, running and leading an organization or like taking part in a lot of actions, we're also going to want to speak to you. You know, we're also going to want to speak we to you. We might have you show. on the show. Yeah. So there's always that to consider as well. Um, but... With all that stuff out of the way, Kira, you've got some news to talk to us about. And mm-hmm. I think this is, we have a audio clip to listen to. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm not, I want to first prep for, for what this is. So um, lots of news to go over. In Georgia, where Cop City is being constructed, um, bail fund organizers were arrested in Georgia And there's also police transcripts to reveal that this is part of a larger conspiracy, which surprises none of us. None of us are under the impression that the police, when they're take when they're retaliating against protesters, against uh, peaceful occupiers of the forest um, that are trying to resist the building of Cop City, where none of us are under the impression that this is just a bunch of do-gooder cops trying to just uphold the letter of the law. Uh, this is, which, which by the way, is still fascism. <laughs> but um, this is a, clearly a part of a larger conspiracy to thwart any sort of like opposition to the building of Cop City. And now we have audio recording that confirms this. But before we get to that recording, I would like to describe... Uh, little bit more about this so the police SWAT team raided a home in atlanta on wednesday and arrested three organizers with the atlanta solidarity fund so this is a nonprofit organization that's been raising money to bail out protesters so a bail fund um protesters that are opposing the construction of of the cop city and if you don't know what cop city is it's this massive police training facility it's basically like a it's like a little like miniature city that's been constructed with millions upon millions upon millions of dollars purely not to house people pure and while while there's a housing crisis by the way where there's a homelessness crisis in america people are desperate none of this is going to be used to house people it's going to be used purely so, so cops can train to become better fascists right um so lawyers have described the raids and the arrests of these bail fund uh, organizers as being unprecedented 
The raid on the bail fund comes as 42 activists face domestic terrorism charges for opposing Cop City. Uh, the Atlanta City Council is expected to hold a key vote on Cop City on June 5th, so in a couple days. The city recently admitted that the public cost of the project will top $67 million, which is twice as high as originally stated. And you can only imagine like how much better those funds could be put to use um, other than building a little fascist Sim City to practice your fascist techniques and tactics, right? So getting to the audio clip, on the same day as the raid, shortly after the raids, audio recording of the police discussing the raid reveals to no one's surprise that the police have been conspiring to take down the uh, Sob Cop City movements. And one of the cops even goes so far as to talk about uh, how they're trying, they're, they're trying to get more overtime because they're trying to get their backyard done. So um, I think we're going to cut to the audio. Anybody else think that that warrant that they serve today and the arrest are just guaranteed shenanigans next Monday and Tuesday? Yep. Actually, maybe tomorrow. I think they're supposed to have their first appearance tomorrow. I'm here for all of it. Matter of fact, just do it all June, trying to get uh, get my backyard done. I mean, it could go the opposite way. I mean, we've been putting pressure on them and attacking them from all different angles. At some point, they, they've got to give up. I mean, especially if we're going after all the money. It, it could shut them down. Yeah, I'm just waiting. Like, couldn't they wait until, like, Wednesday of next week to do this? Is that when you're off? <laughs> no, that's when all this, the finance committee would have been done. would have been done by Wednesday. Ah, uh, okay. Oh, no, they had to send a message. I get it, but I mean, think about it. If if they had just defeated the thing in you know in council, which you know they're finally going to vote for the money and everything's going to go through, and then the coup de Gracie is oh right after you failed two days in a row, we serve a warrant on you. True, that's what they did the last go round. I guess they wanted to uh, you know go ahead and get it over with. I guess they thought it was going on in the offensive. All right. Look so, out. yeah, Wait. super duper. Um, yeah, cops are scum, all of yeah. them, each and every okay. one of them. And even, um, even your mate, even your mate who's a cop, even your even brother. your uncle, even yeah. that nice uncle that got you that cool Christmas present when you were four. Even even he sucks. Even he's even he's a fucking fascist. Right. Anyways, um, solidarity with all protesters against um the uh, for protesters that are um, protesting the creation of cop city um it's just the fucking revolting fascist state here in america <laughs> for real uh, for real i don't really yeah. know how else to even like respond to all this yeah um, it's, it's it's hard because it's like it's 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 very it's just so it's just so blatant and yeah. I mean, the I was looking through like the comments for this particular audio uh, that that I found on Twitter, and there is liberals that were like really upset. But I, I'm hoping that one day they'll stop saying that you know it's American cops that are bad or it's the Georgia cops that are bad, and just start to understand that it's the the state that's bad, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, like it doesn't matter how you how you dress it up, doesn't matter what state, what literal like you know, state in the United States of America is bad. It's like the actual structure of the state. It's it's the uh, creation of laws to to facilitate and justify violence 
and the monopolization of violence and to maintain the uh, class-based oppression. Like, I just, I just, I'm, I'm hoping and praying that at the, at the very least, this type of thing will maybe start to reveal, maybe start to spark some people, you know? Yeah. I, at the end of the day, we will, the more and more that you see like class, this is why class consciousness and class solidarity is so important because um, liberals tend to be people who are either like, I don't know, working class, but don't have the time to like absorb politics. Do you know what I mean? So they're just kind of, they just kind of fall into the neoliberal um, pool or middle-class people. Right. And the more and more that like, you know, the middle, the middle class becomes thinner and, you know, more and more people get pushed out of it because the material conditions of capitalism get worse and worse and worse, the more and more that they'll realize, oh, wait a second, the police suck and they don't do anything good for us. You know, it's like, it's like really, it's it's really hard to like push that narrative when people have never had an experience with the police right if you've never been at a protest and you've never had a policeman like grab you do you know what i mean in the way that they grab you because like when if anyone's ever been at a protest and have like a, a police officer assault them they'll know what i'm talking about they just treat you like fucking objects it's like they will they will grab you with such force and like try and like you know they're just violent bastards basically um unless you've like experienced that sometimes it's hard to like yeah. tell people like you know what what bastards cops are mm-hmm. um especially when so many people like you're talking about like are maybe like middle class and all they have is all the fear mongering of what the poor are going to do to them yeah. and so they think in their mind and they also watch stuff like law and order which you know <laughs> propaganda that that at the end of every one of those shows the only feeling you have is thank god cops exist right oh. right <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah they're like so oh my like, god yeah. yeah these these serial killers living around the corner from me oh man it's so good that cops exist and yeah they'll just stop all those serial killers even though it's so it's so bizarre isn't it because it's like even if you really like and i, I used to believe this too i used to think like oh yeah cops we need cops because what about serial killers yeah but like, i did too cops, most people yeah, did yeah but like but like you know cops only stop serial killers after they're learning that they're serially killing people yeah <laughs> like, if you ever call a cop and say this person's threatening me they're gonna be like okay well cause when you're dead or cause yeah. when you have like a, an actual physical injury exactly. and then maybe maybe we'll care but even then they might not care yeah. it really depends on who you are what you're, like if you're what your demographic is like how yeah. connected you are what who's deciding to pick up the phone that day you right. know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Anyways, anyways anyway uh, anyway yeah uh fuck cops each and every one of them uh-huh. Um, but my sweet, sweet mule, <gasps> could you tell me about what's going on with, uh, in London with regards to riot police? I can indeed. Um, so there is a autonomous housing group and I will get you the name of those, uh, forthwith, but basically they squatted a ex convent um sisters of mercy convent autonomous winter shelter squatted this convent that basically used to run on the grounds that they would like help homeless people it was supposed to be a homeless shelter but um i believe this this is a paraphrase paraphrased history of of what happened but the homeless people in london would show up to the convent and be like yeah we need housing and they would be like no and then it just kind of shut down and stopped working. And then some really base squatters, the autonomous winter shelter, popped in and were like, you know what? We're going to make this uh, an actual homeless shelter. 
And the difference between this and like the way that like a lot of squats sort of um, operate is that like you will you will find that sometimes squats operate in in a bizarre fashion, and it may seem a little I don't know what the word is a little lib to some people, but when you like mm -hmm. deal with people with addiction issues and when you deal with people with like housing issues, sometimes you have to make decisions like we can't have addicts staying here, and it's not a we don't like addicts, it's we don't have the resources to deal with addicts kind of thing. But the difference between this squat and most squats that you would find in and around most city centers in the uk um is that they would let anybody come in didn't matter if they were addicts didn't matter if they were um uh, any kind of like you know issue that they had like it was a homeless shelter for homeless people and and that was the end of it basically and lots of squatters would like come in and spend their time there and do work there for people um but what happened uh this was this week uh i believe this was literally on thursday yeah it was it was thursday this week yeah so um dozens of met police officers basically turned up i think there were about a hundred police officers present according to this uh one lbc article um and you know it, it's 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 this is just another example you know we're, we're going hard on a cab we're going hard on one three one two hey, on we this are, episode we're, but we're not we're not trying to we're right? not even trying to we're like, not even trying to. we're just reporting the news to we're you it's not our news. fault <laughs> it's, like, it's like this we're is like trying a... to tell you what's going on and it just happens to be cops are scum yeah so you know well it's not even biased it's literally like <laughs> it's literally like this is what happened these cops have shown up to a homeless shelter. A hundred of them. Like, a we can't hundred. just ignore them. Be like, oh, yeah. we're really, we don't want to be mean to you. Just a hundred of you standing outside. We're just, no, you got to, you're Literally. making it very hard to ignore how scummy you are. So. Yeah, a, a hundred of them all decked out in riot gear, turned up at this homeless shelter and just dragged these these people out just like, like jesus it, would do <laughs> <laughs> exactly so you know it's just vile vile shit and you know i'll i'll never i'll never forget the experience that i had when i was on an eviction resistance i i probably spoke about it on red planet but like we were you know the guy that we were protecting was was a uh, a war veteran he, he had like a lot of mental health pro problems and and um uh, addiction problems and stuff and you know we were saying to the police we were like yo listen you're breaking the law in it like you might not know this but you're breaking the law and they just don't care do they because they're coppers so you know they pushed us out of the way they broke into this gaff and you know this guy was like they, they you know when they saw that the guy's gaff wasn't like a crack den they saw that it was just like a normal guy you know what I mean? Like, just terrified to be made homeless. And we're there saying, like, you know, do you feel good about yourselves, lads? Do you feel good about doing this? And they're there going, oh, you act like we like doing it. And it's like, oh, just get another job, you dickhead. Literally, just get another job. You know, like, I have no idea how not a single one of these fuckers, like, felt sheepish about this. Mm -hmm. And and to be honest, we do know that there have been reports because we reported on this on Red Planet, right? In the UK, that like the number of cops like recruited is at like an all time low versus like leaving the force. And I think that that is in part due to um, this is in the UK, by the way. This is just in the UK. I'm not sure if this is the case in the States or anything, but this is, I think, in part due to like the really bad press that the cops have been getting. And this is I think this was even before the um there was a report that they did where they found that the Met police were like institutionally racist, homophobic, uh, misogynist, all this stuff. Um, but anyway, you know, it's just, it's just vile. It's vile shit. 
every single one of these bastards is just, uh, uh, anyway i'm not going to say any more about that that's what they did they 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 they, ev- they evicted a bunch of homeless people and you know they were they were hurting them they were they were actually hurting them they were literally like you know being so violent with them and they will have used the excuse that like oh they were getting you know aggressive or whatever but would you not get aggressive like would you not get aggressive if someone if a copper came in if you're homeless and you have this like beautiful sweet amazing place where people are like using their humanity to to make your life better and all of a sudden the state shows up to like fuck that shit up how are you not going to get mad at that how is anybody not going to get upset how is anybody not going to get um you know um want to defend that how is that how can you possibly yeah. Do you know what I mean? Just only, but it's not even just being upset. It's also when the state removes your housing, that is violence. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. not just a bum. You're resisting out. violence. Yeah. Yeah. You're resisting necessarily what is violence. Like this yeah. is not a hypothetical. This is actual in the moment is violence. Sometimes it's like I, I have a hard time. Like I have this resist thing in my head that thinks like it represents violence or something. No, 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 it is. It yeah. is violence to be taken from your home and to not have a home. Like that is those, in fact violence. Those cops that put that guy I was just talking about onto the onto the streets, when they found out that, you know, the council didn't have his name on the register, like these housing association people were saying, like, oh, he's on the homeless register. We rang up and found out that it wasn't. And we were telling him, we were saying, you've just given someone a death sentence. You've taken them out of the home. It was minus degree weather. Mm. Like that is a death sentence. You're killing someone by doing that. You're actually just killing a guy, you know, um, especially someone who's got addiction problems. Like the first thing they're going to do is they're going to want to score. They're going to want to get fucked up because how else are you going to sleep on the streets? How else, what, what else are you going to do? Like you don't know anyone, you got no family and shit like that. That is a death sentence, you know? So anyway, this is just, again, not even trying obviously i'm being extremely biased i fucking hate cops but you can see why right you can see why um so yeah again a cab one three one two not even trying not even trying to to you know mm-hmm. make this about cops but they just made it about themselves let's face it chat mm-hmm. they've made it about themselves mm-hmm. um but speaking about more cops <laughs> 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 Kira, do you want to tell us about how uh yeah. German anti-fascists were treated this week? Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh so German anti-fascists were convicted for a series of attacks on neo-Nazis. And I love I love the DW headline for this. I'm gonna read it. Left-wing extremist Lena E has been found guilty in a German court of leading a series of violent attacks on neo-Nazis. The sprawling trial has sparked controversy and fears of extremism driven by leftist ideology. Incredible. <gasps> Absolutely incredible. We here at the Red Planet Show <laughs> embrace leftist ideology, but do not embrace any violent attacks in the name of it. That is, that's, uh, it makes us sad and we cry off stream. That's true. I just want to let you all know that. We don't do it on stream though, because we're professionals, but off stream, off off the show, we, we are, we're, we're weeping. When we hear about people, you know, beating up neo-Nazis in the name of leftist ideology. But I'm still going to report the story. Um, 28-year-old German student Lena E. was found guilty of founding a quote-unquote criminal organization and committing six serious attacks on neo-Nazis. Oh, no. 
apparently this type of behavior is unusual in Germany is what the story says. I'm not, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. Um, it's so fucked. It's so <laughs> fucked. I did about you. Yeah. I did about you, but there was like a, a moment when I started to get radicalized politically um, and finding out that like, there are still people who are actually Nazis in the world. And I was like, that's bad enough. But then when you find out that there are like Nazis in Germany, that's like a mind blowing moment. It's mm -hmm. like, did you not learn? Like, do you not understand? Like, anyway, it was just. I remember uh, this. I know it's, it's so funny to think back. I remember when I learned there was still, because I'm not Jewish, learning that there was like still Nazis, there's still anti Semites. I was just like, okay, I always envision in my little, like, my little cute little, I don't know anything about politics brain. I envisioned some like underground organization where there's like some, you know, they're wearing ripped stuff and like, you know, they never see the light of day or something. Like, I can understand that those ideologies might exist there. Like, you know, with like a steel door to open the thing and say the password. Like, that's the way that yeah. I envision these organizations right. if they Same. ever existed. I didn't know that, like, they actually, like, were just people, like, walking around that are, like, still, like, just thinking Nazis had great ideas and and, and the Jewish people are, like, controlling the world like a puppeteer. Like, I, I, it so blew cringe. my mind when I, like, I know, extremely privileged position, right? Um, But, like, it yeah. was, <laughs> I remember that, like, wake up. I was like, what? I thought this was, I thought whenever people, like, are using analogies, they're like, then they throw in, throw in Nazi or throw in Hitler. It's because we all agree that's bad. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It's just so uh, But so here, we here we here are. Here we are. Anyway. In Germany, there's neo-Nazis. And yeah. so uh, the German courts, well, the German police had to take, them, uh, take those people in and go, wow, we're the police and we don't enjoy when you beat up neo-Nazis. So we're going to make sure that you, you see justice. Um, so um, Lena E and her three co-defendants uh, carried out a series of attacks on neo-Nazis between 2018 and 2020. And they're, uh, a, wait, yeah. So the group around Lena E is believed to have been very well organized. And they use, according to uh, some people, like this one academic talked about it and he was calling them a terrorist organization. And this is, this is terrorism, whatever. Um, part of his report, he was talking about how they used disposable phones and they were, had spies that were spying on like the different quote unquote victims, AKA Nazis, which is this, it sounds like they, the, they, they also learn like combat techniques to learn how to like properly, like best, take down nazis so looks like this this left-wing extremist organization was was doing some very effective things to 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 you know yeah which we of course do not endorse here at red planet no don't no, do any of we're that. very sad to hear this we, we weep um so the uh they raided a well-known neo-nazi bar in late 2019 and attacked this this like neo-nazi named uh, like Leon who's a very like apparently very well-known notorious neo-nazi in the area attacked him with hammers and batons and when that initial attack failed the group attacked him again a few weeks later outside of his car and the other neo-nazis they left with broken bones and other injuries so um when the defendants entered the courtroom apparently they got like a really positive reception which is you know what huh a very positive reception a huge round of applause from a ton of people um everyone was standing giving like a standing ovation with the exception of like the judge and like the journalists um <laughs> and as soon as the sentence was read the gallery the sentence of like okay these people are in trouble the gallery kept, um began chanting leftist messages of support 
And the judge called for quiet so he can read out his reasoning, saying, anyone who is interested in hearing why the verdict was the way it was can say. And someone immediately shouts, because you're fascist friends. And others called out, fucking class justice. So, you know. It's just so fucked. It's so <laughs> fucked. Um, Lena E. Oh, yeah. So Lena E. was sentenced to five years and three months in prison. But later on, she was told that she would only have to return to jail if she loses an appeal. So now she's out and she has to do like this parole thing until that happens. And her three male co-defendants were sentenced about three years in prison each. So it, it, it's really it was really gross to read like this snooty academics comment uh, commentary on this talking about how well they were targeting people based on their based on politics and 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 making their lives difficult so that's technically terrorism and you know we don't stand for that and so and so forth and the judge was trying to to justify his decision by saying we also do stuff against far right organizations but um i think we all understand that there is a pretty notable difference between those two especially in germany you would think that they would understand this but of course, you know, not capitalism is not interested in understanding such uh, such disparities. Of... It is just <laughs> such an absolutely bizarre thing to think about. It, it it's it's like okay, so Germany, the country where the Nazis happened, and there were anti-fascists back then. That's where anti-fascism comes from, and. You know, well, obviously you could argue that anti-fascism comes from lots of different pre-colonial indigenous countries, but, you know, sort of like what what is considered like, you know, the communist anti-fascist wing of Europe comes from 1930s Germany, where the Nazis were, you know, rising. And of course, they were being anti-fascist back then. They were being called terrorists back then. They were getting arrested back then. They were getting put in prison back then. All by the same kind of liberals who were like putting anti-fascists in prison nowadays God. for attacking Nazis, right? Was, it's like... In my oh. uh, community, we have a movie. We we watch movies together and we watch Cabaret recently, which I never yeah. saw before. And it was really interesting uh, how, because it, it's it's during like the rise of uh, of like the Nazis before the Nazis were like the Nazis, but they're like brown shirts and they're wearing their little band, uh, their little like armbands, and they're you know doing the brown shirt shit. Yeah. And um, it, during the during the movie, uh, one of the characters is like, "No, first we're gonna allow the Nazis to get rid of the communists, but because we can handle the Nazis, right? We can we can take we can control them." And at a certain point. And the movie, like this one Nazi youth or whatever, stands up and gives this like really sings this really creepy nationalistic song, and everyone starts standing up. And the character, and one of the characters is like, "You still think you can control them?" And that's just like yeah. that, that's just. <laughs> I feel like we're kind of seeing the same type of shit. Yeah, like communists are the anti-fascists. Yeah, that's the they have, that if you don't want fascism, stop putting communists in prison when they're fighting fascists. Yeah, it's like it's like so like absurd that you know anyway anyway i'm not i'm not gonna spend too much time on this because everyone can see how absurd it is we got a lot of stuff to get through we got a cool guest coming on in a this bit this is a so very much a mule and kira stream it's a mule and kira stream yeah so we have got a new story um this is a very interesting one this is the first i've read about this um so xylazine um this is a drug that is apparently becoming the latest drug of choice for right-wing fear mongers in Britain. Now, 
what I think that that means is that, um, you know, it, it sounds like it sounds like right wing fear mongers. So, you know, people like uh, who are on talk shows who are like telling people to be scared of migrants and stuff like that. Um, I, I don't know if it's them. I think it's probably just more likely it's it's the the. <laughs> It's the choice, the drug of choice for just right wingers, basically. Um, but essentially, a recent report in the uh, Sunday Times warned of a flesh-eating zombie drug. Um, they always do this, by the way. They always genuinely do this whenever like a new drug comes out, like bath salts or something like that. Um, they just, just like the most absurd fear mongering about this kind of stuff. The Sunday Times is a rag. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Um, they claim is responsible for the death of a British man infiltrating the UK. Oh, no, hang on a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, the death of a British man? Okay, I'm not understanding this news story um, that well. But anyway, it says here that the drug xylazine is a sedative tip- typically administered to animals um, with some similarity to blood pressure um, uh, to blood pressure medications used by people. When used with benzos and opioids, it can prolong the effects of those drugs. Xylazine has been found to be added to street drugs in the United States for the last few years. The Times article inaccurately suggests that Xylazine was responsible for the deaths of Carl Warburton, a 43-year-old man from Smith's Wood. Death certificates records uh, in, indicate that while Xylazine was present, the main cause of death was determined to be a combination of heroin, fentanyl, and cocaine. So actually, that is what the, the headline is. It is actually, the Sunday Times is trying to like fearmonger about this about this new drug. So that that is actually what it is. Um, so while it's true that uh, xylazine has begun entering the UK, it does not eat flesh. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that's probably ob- obvious to everyone. Neil is not a doctor. Neither am I. However, no, no. however, we will. It, we're, our best bet is. Yeah, it's it's quite obvious that like it's not going to be like it's just so absurd. Uh, xylazine is commonly injected, which narrows blood vessels, causing abscesses and ulcers around the injection point that can be slow to heal. The article represents the latest example of demonizing drug users and addicts, and it's a reminder to test your drugs. So uh, you may remember that we did a harm reduction stream a couple of well it might might even be a year ago now mm. um just talking about drugs and and how like you know yes there are definitely drugs out there that are dangerous but guess what alcohol is a drug if you drink too much of that you'll fucking die and that's legal so you know what's what's important whether something is legal or not or whether you know how to take it properly safely um and make sure that you are testing it to see if it is properly um the drug that you think it is so always important to remember that um yeah sorry for getting that that wrong i just got that headline a little bit wrong there i thought it was i thought that this was going to be one of those stories where it's like oh these like these like you know um steroid head um neo-nazis in the uk that are just like you know using too many steroids and they're also trying to use this like other thing to make them hench and swole and good at fighting um but it's not that. <laughs> I, thought, I thought I thought it was something related to that. Anyway, Kira, we were talking about video games at the start of the stream, and you're obviously a gamer. So do you want to tell us about some based gamer news? Sure. Um, the most self-hating video gamers on the planet are organizing. Of course, I'm talking about League of Legends players. 
Um, in a move never before seen in professional esports, the North American League of Legends Championship Series Players Association, otherwise known as NALCSPA, has, an, uh, has announced that the league's players have voted overwhelmingly in favor of a walkout. So they're not apparently able to strike for some reason. I'm not quite sure on the, on the technical reasons why they chose a walkout, but they've organized in uh, favor of a walkout. And this is a really big deal. This is very, the, the, this has never happened before. So why are they doing this? It's a little bit of a complicated explanation. Um, I'm going to try to briefly explain, but if you don't quite understand, that's okay. I think it's most important to understand though, that this is a show of um, not like, it, the, these aren't like workers that are like given like a paycheck, but these are these are like more of an informal like contracted workers um, that are organizing this type of organizing a walkout in in a in an industry that really doesn't ever see this type of like organized action, which is really cool to see. Um, so Riot removed a requirement for orgs to field an academy team and an academy is like a developmental league. And so most teams have immediately dropped their academy leagues. And this is like seven of 10. And this puts therefore like many as like 70 players, coaches and managers out of work. And this is happening all within a month before the start of the 2023 NACL summer split. If anyone knows what I'm talking about right now, then you know what I'm talking about. But this, I, I feel like we don't mm. really need to go too much in the deep in the weeds. If you don't know, understand this, that's totally cool. Um, just know that this is like a really big blow to the North American league scene is because without a strong academy academy league, it's much more difficult to develop talents. I was poking around in some forums and I even heard that even aspiring players in America are being told because of this, that they have to go play now in Europe's regional leagues so they can develop and then go back to America if they want to go like even higher. So it's, 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 not great, right? So there's a bunch of demands uh, that the that the NALCSPA um, are asking for. For instance, uh, allow the LCS orgs to partner with affiliates for cost sharing. Um, you know, committing to a revenue pool, revenue pool for player salaries, so and so forth, a certain amounts. So. Very esportsy stuff. I'm not going to go into too much more of the gamery language, but um, it's cool to see that esports players are even embracing the spirit of unionization. Technically, not a union, yes, true, but I still think it's really it's still an it's still a show of like instead of us kind of like isolating and and um, just kind of taking on this burden of 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 whatever stresses we're experiencing or looking to our fellow workers, uh, coaches, players, et cetera, that we are competing with, but seeing that they're struggling, we're going to actually like band together and do a walkout. I also personally think it's cool that given that I, I've never was an esports player, but I did a lot of gaming before and I have played with esports teams in the past, not as a, not as one of them, but like, as like a buddy, <laughs> but um, keeping up with them. So I got a chance to like know a lot of the politics and stuff. There's a sentiment in, in esports that like, if you're, if you're able to make it, that it's like a dream job. And this is very similar with a lot of entertainments and, uh, or gamer affiliated stuff, like being a Twitch streamer, that if you're in it, then you're blessed and you're living the dream and you should never have any complaints whatsoever. 
uh, or else you're spoiled and entitled and so on and so forth. So it's cool to see that that same group is kind of being like, now nah, we're not cool with actually what we're seeing and we're going to actually organize a walkout. So um, that's pretty cool to see. And so, yeah. I love it. That's, that's the, your gamer news. Gamer news. Yeah. Um, just in time for Pride. Um, anyway, <laughs> don't ask me where that came from. It's not even a joke. Um, it's not even funny. <laughs> anyway, um, the next bit of the street, that's the news segment done, by the way. So well done, everyone. Oh, and now that we have a few more minutes, I want to make sure that y'all know, and we'll, we'll go into more detail of this at the end of the stream, but if you would like to support more Red Planet shows, you want to make sure our producer, Conrad, keeps getting his gruel and gets his gets his uh his 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 bucket seat that doubles as a bucket you know things like that does not come free that's not that 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 requires funds all right if you want more mule and kira days like this that's right like the chaotic energy that's right make sure you visit our patreon we couldn't have done this without conrad we would (laughs) have it would have fallen apart really couldn't uh make sure you visit our patreon uh patreon.com slash red underscore planet do it. You can become a member for as little as $2 a month. And it really, really helps us out. So thank you so much in advance. And um, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Mule and Kira Day. It's Mule and Kira Day. Uh, now we have an excellent guest uh, today. And we're going to start introducing them right now. Shall I do it? Shall you do it? It's up to you. I'm not bothered. Whatever you want. You know what? I would love to hear your voice a little yes, bit more. Yes, you would, wouldn't you? I think You'd it's a fantastic that. voice. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, transgenocidal rhetoric has taken the United States and uh, UK by storm in recent years, funded by right-wing organizations. These are the same groups who are also working to spread harmful misinformation and fear throughout the rest of the world, exporting the culture wars to other nations to use as a political wedge issue, while trans and queer people in those communities experience greater discrimination and risk to life. Our guest today recently stood up to one against, sorry, our guest today recently stood up against one such effort, disrupting an event in Tel Aviv where anti-trans author Abigail Schreer was promoting a book release. They were physically assaulted and restrained simply for standing up and speaking in a defiant tone toward the platform, the transphobe. We're very proud to have the very based Islet with us today. Welcome in, Islet. Am I saying your name? Islet. Islet. Hi, uh, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, hearing you loud and clear. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Can you see me? I cannot see you. That is intriguing. <laughs> you should be seeing me, and I don't like that. Uh oh. Um, hmm. Maybe it's um, just a camera source, or something's happening. No. Okay. It does. It doesn't matter for now. If you want to, if you want to, like, check this out um, as we talk. Uh, that's absolutely fine. No problem whatsoever. But do you want to introduce yourself properly for everyone just to start? Okay. Yes. Hello. Uh, my name is Ayala Kovo. Uh, my Twitter is at Amikovo. That's the only social media I have. Uh, I am an activist on the Refuser Network uh, Misalvot, which is uh, a network of uh Israeli conscientious objectors who refuse to join the IDF, uh, to which conscription is mandatory. Um, 
I actually reached the attention of this podcast when um, a week ago I I staged a protest uh, outside uh, Abigail Schreier's um, Abigail Schreier's meeting or convention or whatever for her book uh, Irreversible Damage, in which I entered and uh, interrupted in the middle of of uh, when she was speaking, which is uh, super awesome and super based mm-hmm. um so yeah so that must have been really really just intense just in general not just the act itself but the lead up to it knowing that you were going to do it knowing what could have happened to you um you know as a result of that can you like talk us through what kind of happened like what was the what I, I guess like the whole story you might as well tell us the whole story okay sure um, well, actually, while I was technically uh, active in organizing the protest, I really wasn't the main person organizing it. That were my fantastic friends who are watching this stream, uh, hopefully. They said they would be. I uh, <laughs> hope you are. My Bye, there, you're out there. Uh, thanks for that. <laughs> um, and, and so uh, they, they start organizing this protest. Um, and it was really just like a bunch of trans kids that knew each other a lot of us were in misovot or in other things and we just decided to help abigail shire is going to be there she's spreading lies about us Mm -hmm. we are um the group affected by this and we want to protest it um so so we did that and uh maya first uh suggested to me hey you know that thing that happened to anita bryant (laughs) 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 So if if anyone um, is unaware of your queer history, uh, Anita Bryant was basically the JK Rowling of her day, um, calling gay people, lesbians, pedophiles, groomers, all this kind of stuff, unnatural. And uh, someone, uh, an extremely based person, um, gave her a, a cream pie to the face uh, during one of her press conferences. So that's what I was uh, re- referencing there. But yeah, go on uh, if you want to continue. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, so so, so uh, my friend Maya mentioned that to me and, and I got you know, thinking about, and I was also thinking about, um, again, that uh, feminist protest um, with the Lavender Menace, with the women who entered the shirts, uh, declaring themselves as the Lavender Menace into a feminist con- uh, uh, conference, which uh, tried to ban lesbians, uh, with the Lavender Menace being the word used to refer to lesbians. And I realized that, you know, entering entering uh, a conference entering that kind of situation seeing the people that hate you and staring them in the face it's mm. a- an important political move um and so i decided like hell yeah i'm i'm going to do it like who's going to stop me like <laughs> uh, obviously i decided against uh pies or violence of any kind um but they still so- responded violently toward you Sorry, can you repeat yourself? Yeah, they still, even though you decided uh, not to do anything violent, even even as, you know, quote unquote violent as like a cream pie, they they still violently restrained you. They still acted very violently towards you. Like they they grabbed you and they pulled you to the floor and dragged you. So I just want to make well, that clear. Yeah, that obviously, but let's be completely honest. Everyone knew that would happen. A little bit of context. 
I did this, and then two days later, I posted it and a thread to Twitter. Um, I have like 100 followers on Twitter, so not that many people saw it on Twitter. Um, except for the fact that uh, the fantastic, beloved uh, transfer Posey Parker uh, retweeted it and uh, sicked her mob on me. Uh, oh. Followed immediately by fantastic pick me uh, transgender, sorry, not man, female living as a man, Buck Angel doing the same. Um, so, uh, uh, so, so obviously that immediately occurred and keep people, you know, among a bunch of different things. People kept asking me like, what did you expect? As if they think that I'm surprised oh, that I was God. treated by violence. Like, no, I'm not surprised. It's bad anyway, but no, mm-hmm. I'm not fucking surprised. Mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. point was to show that mm-hmm. these people who claim that they just care about us, that they just care about the children, that they just care about those poor, innocent girls who are being mutilated, which, to be clear, I am, as a 17-year-old uh, uh, trans mask non-binary per- person, am the person they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And just how obvious that lie is, because the moment we bother them... Mm-hmm. They will immediately treat us with immense, intense violence. Mm-hmm. They don't fucking care about the children, especially not the trans children. They were yelling at me and claiming that I was a disease. And mm-hmm. uh, and and so that one of them shouted at me, you're still a freak while dragging mm-hmm. me out. They don't fucking care about us. <sighs> yeah. No, like- that's horrific. Yeah, it's, it's, it's you know, really um hope inspiring it's a lot of hopium to hear that like you know you are the target of the kind of rhetoric that is being used all over the world to try and roll back queer rights and you know you've stood up against it uh you know as as anyone would do do you know what i mean anyone anyone who can is gonna do this like i think that's what people forget i think that's what everybody who is sort of like standing aside and not really doing anything about this is is unaware of is that like more and more young people are gonna start putting their not just like reputations but their lives on the line to fight for this stuff that they know is right um it's it's incredibly hope inspiring like it's you know the fact that like you were able to go and do that you know and it's just really really awesome and i think like uh you know i'm speaking for everybody who's listening now when i say like you know you (laughs) you did a really awe-inspiring thing like a really awesome thing um but like so you know you you said that it it was like a non-violent thing i'm assuming you went in there and you just disrupted the protest right Mm -hmm. well it it was it was a so this person was was trying to do a, a nice calm transphobia, and so um, uh, they uh, Ayelet shows up and um, basically stands up and just starts talking for a second, and wasn't even like in, nothing even controversial. Just 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 the mere act of just in my opinion, Ayla, you can you can totally tell me if I'm I'm wrong, but uh, the mere act of standing up and and just existing as trans in front of a transphobe who's trying to just have a calm transphobia day um, was enough. That was enough to to be a, a cause for violence, uh, retaliation. Well, that's my read I, on it. I I have a goal to be as fair as possible to whom I'm speaking towards. So I will say this, I stood up and for some reason, despite 
obviously I got me me up before I did this because I was like one of three teenagers in the room. Um, uh, they let me sit down next to the uh, speakers. And the first thing I did when I stood up was I shut off the mics. I, I shut off their speakers. So, so, so yeah, that's an obtrusive act I did. And the other thing is I, I spoke directly to Schreier and I will say I walked towards her. It was also towards the center of the room and the stage, but I did walk towards her. Um, in fact, I, I, I was trying, I was trying to ask, I was trying to prove that she wouldn't be willing to shake my hand. Um, you know, I introduced myself. I said, uh, hello, Mrs. Schreier, would you be willing to, uh, I couldn't finish that sentence because I was attacked before I could finish, but, uh, I was trying to prove that she wouldn't shake my hand and she didn't. So, um, yeah. And yeah, so like, I also, you can't see this in any of the videos, but I was holding a trans flag that was still hold, folded up, but it was grabbed from me the moment I stood up. So yeah, uh. that you can't see in any videos. Um, so, so, so I would disagree with framings of the event in which I was just kind of there and they attacked me like unprovoked. No, I was being provocative. And that was the point, the point that, at, you know, the slightest provocation of one of the kids they claim to be defending being disrespectful toward them, they'd go for let's drag them across the floor. Yeah, and, and po point proven, right? Yeah. Um, in terms of it, I mean, it's just it's just absolutely horrible, like what you must have gone through with like you say, Book Angel, Posey Parker, um, you know, harassing you on the internet and stuff like that. That must have just been really, really nasty. Um, and in terms of like, I guess, um, you know, what kind of, I guess, I guess what kind of response there's been? Like, we don't really need to, I guess, unless there's been anything new that you've noticed from like the rhetoric that we see all the time on the internet about you know trans people um twitter especially unfortunately uh it gets worse and worse and worse <laughs> nowadays um but like you know the, there's there's no way that this is going to be framed as you know bad on the part of the transphobes right there's there's, there's going to be like very few of them sitting down and admitting hang on a minute mm -hmm. this is wrong why did we do this um unless you've seen anything like that islet well, no. Okay, several things. Um, <laughs> okay, so so first of all, yeah, obviously there wasn't anything new, and no, obviously none of them sat and reflected. Insane transphobes on the internet don't sit and reflect. But I will point out one thing that I had never experienced before, and I'm sure many others have, which is um, but I and I was aware of it uh in theory, but I'd never seen it played out in practice, which is. Every single one or almost every single one of the people replied to me, gendered me as a man. Now, I'm not a man. <laughs> and by their theory, I should not be gendered as a man since, you know, I'm trans mask. But, but vitally, despite both my age and my gender and the way they claim to perceive my gender identity, I should not be a man. But I am because trans people's gender is entirely conditional is what is more convenient for trans folks framing trans people will be men when they must be framed as violent criminals and 
genderless children or girls when they must be framed as victims. When I do something in which they attack me, so they must acclaim me, uh, proclaim me as a threat, then bam, suddenly I'm a man. Despite the fact that in my videos, you see multiple times them pulling out my clothes and like seeing my chest finder and stuff like that, making it very obvious my assigned gender at birth. But despite all that, despite the fact that they're very aware of my assigned gender at birth, nope. For the intents of this reaction, I must be a man in order to justify their behavior. And obviously, you see this a lot of the ways in the same, um, I don't know, uh, uh, trans women in general get to, are, are claimed to be predatory men, no matter, you know, how old they are or when they transition or whatever, unless they detransition. And then when talking about their past self, they're like, oh, no, a poor child tricked. It's... <laughs> There's no honest view on the gender of trans people. There's no constant. Trans people are whatever gender is convenient in order mm-hmm. to, to frame them as a problem. Mm-hmm. Of course, absolutely. Um, so just sort of, um, I guess, go, go move it, moving on from that, because, I mean, what else can you say? Like, you, you did a really awesome-based thing. Um, we're all incredibly proud of you. Uh, <laughs> like i like as as an older queer person it's just like so inspiring do you know what i mean like i think like one of the things that i think about a lot of the time is how hard it was for me to come out like i only came out when i was 29 do you know what i mean um and i think like seeing younger queer people doing this amazing stuff it, it gives me a lot of hope for for younger queer people so yeah it's really it's really cool to see um and i guess like yeah we're, we're going to be talking to you more about um uh mesava is that is that how you say that am i saying that right oh, okay well so i will now uh, reach the pronunciation part first of all my name is pronounced uh i yell it as in i yell it, I yell it. Um, I yell it. yeah yeah uh, that's part one, and it's misalvot. Uh, in Hebrew, this means uh, we refuse. It's specifically female gender, because in Hebrew, almost every word has a gender. So it's we refuse collective female. Um, and yes, it is an organization of conscientious objectors. Uh, within Israel, there is a mandatory enlistment to the IDF. For girls, it is two years, and for boys, it is two years and eight months. Um. And yeah, uh, Ms. Elvot, uh refuses to participate in the IDF uh, on moral grounds. Obviously, each individual person might have their each individual claims. Uh, some people refuse because they're generally pacifists. Some people refuse specifically because of the occupation that yesterday had was marked as the 56th anniversary of, which is to say specifically the occupation of the West Bank and uh, the the siege slash um, uh, violence within the Gaza Strip, um, and others will say that it's general anti-Zionism and not simply the occupation. Um, it's a movement that includes people of many stripes. I personally am generally an anti-Zionist. Cool. And in uh, this is something that I'm only tangentially aware of um, because I know someone that um, refused to take part in the idf conscription um and they were put in prison for like six months or something i can't remember but there is like there's like an extreme penalty for it right yeah well first of all if you tell me their name i probably know them uh because we a a lot of us talk i mean they 
presumably in Misselbot, maybe they weren't. Um, but okay, so the IDF has a complicated system in which it obviously can't actually make everyone con join because that's every young person every year. It's too many people. Um, uh, uh, so so that's on one hand, but on the other hand, it doesn't want to not let people join. So the system that has is that there are quite a few ways in which you can be released while technically still making their image look good. Um, for example, it's considered relatively easy to get release on health charges, specifically mental health charges, uh, because they don't want people to actually go to prison for refusing because that makes them look bad. But they're aware that if they don't allow that, people will go to prison for refusing. Um, I specifically, all of this is mildly irrelevant to me because the IDF doesn't really enlist trans people, uh, which is to say it does, but you have to convince them to enlist you and not the other way around. For most people, for most of people, they have to convince the IDF that they're not fit for duty. But if you're trans, you're automatically sent to the mental health facilities. Uh, I don't know if this is actual ruling, but it's true for every single trans person I've spoken to. Um, and by I've the way, Israel is the mecca for uh, for queer liberation, apparently. <laughs> yeah, yeah, obviously, <laughs> obviously, and anyway, and that's on. why uh, queer Palestinians are blackmailed and killed for their mm. identity. Yeah, that mm. because it's so darn progressive. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> God. Yes. Um, Anyways, I, I'm sorry to cut you off. You were saying. Oh, yeah. So, 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 like, obviously, I'm not too sad about it. I think it's good that trans people aren't enlisted because I think it's better if more people aren't enlisted. I think that would be good. Um, but uh, it means that me specifically, despite, you know, at the beginning of my journey, having plans of like refusing and going to prison and being able to make it a political statement, it is not something I will personally be able to do. But obviously, I have many friends who will go that route. And um, yes, on that topic, uh, when you refuse, if you refuse and you don't try to get out through mental health institutions or through uh, there's something called the conscientious committee in which you must basically prove you're a pacifist and therefore must be allowed to let out. If you aren't released through either of those two things or don't want to be released through either of those three things, you can say, fuck it show up to, to, to the IDF on the day you're supposed to enlist, say, I'm not going anywhere. You will put be put in prison for any time between 90 to 120 days on average. There have been people who have been way more. There have also been people who are way less, but that's generally the idea. Uh, these are not consecutive days. There have, uh, um, People have not been put in prison for consecutive days since the early 2000s, in which they sentenced some people to three straight consecutive years in prison for refusing. But that received a bunch of international attention. And since then, it's been um, generally up to 120 years and it's it's entire turn. So first you're put in prison for like two weeks and then you're released and they ask you if you're ready to enlist now. And if you say no again, you're sentenced again to two weeks. And if you say no again after that, you're sentenced to three weeks and then attack, attack, attack until you fulfill your time and are released for bad behavior. Mm. That is legitimately like torture. That's like put you in the box. Okay, 
You ready? Like, I, I was watching Tank Girl last night. I know this is an absurd thing to bring up, but, like, I really like the movie Tank Girl. I think it's really cool. Um, but, like, in Tank, in fucking Tank Girl, like, that's what the, the evil villain does to Tank Girl. Like, puts her in this, like, cold room for a week and then gets her out and says, are you ready to, are you ready to work for me now? That's literally what the, the fucking ITF do. It's so fun. To children as well, to literal, like, teenagers. It's just like, oh my god, I can't believe that. Sorry, I just had to interject there because that is, like, a legitimately, like, evil villain shit. Oh my god. Yeah, well, I have not seen uh, the movie Tank Girl. And uh, I will say two things, first of all. I guess, fortunately, because that would be truly torture. It is not solitary confinement. People are put in military prison, which is an absurd mind game. It's this weird cross between boot camp and civilian prison. It's, according to people I know who've been there, it's a bizarre situation. Um, Lots of people go to military military prison for like a week or two because of doing shit shit like smoking on watch, like, and, or like, you know, minor infractions. A lot of people go because they don't show up to army for some reason. Um, both for I don't sometimes because logistical reasons. Because IDF is a massive bureaucratic organization that cannot get its shit together. Um, it's it's so weird to say this because obviously it's a very efficient killing machine, but it's not efficient at anything else. Um, <laughs> wow. And, and so yeah, lots of lots of people fell through the cat cracks and then got screwed over and went to prison and also people you know people who like are more poor they just couldn't afford because you're not really paid for being in the idf you're paid like uh 1000 shekels which is a shekel is like four of those are a dollar if i remember my conversions like that's the amount you get per month which is not a lot of money and if your family is very poor and needs you to work well then uh, screw you you can't do that um so so obviously like a lot of people a lot of disenfranchised people uh end up in military prison that way um wow and and so that's you know women's prison from what i've heard men's prison like they're both military prison men's is more complicated because there's also uh, weapons dealers and rapists there but yeah that's that's it for the most of it um yeah Madness. It's just really, really like, you know, trying to wrap your head around, uh, you know, this kind of scenario where you are, I guess, told to believe it. I guess it's exactly the same as as growing up in, in you know, neoliberal UK kind of thing where, where you think like, oh, our country's really good and we do loads of good stuff. And then like the more and more that you like learn about what's going on, you go, oh, actually, no, this is terrible and terrible things are happening. But I think it just happens like obviously a lot faster in Israel because probably one of the first questions that you ask your parents is like, yo, why are they shooting rockets at us actually? Like, and then (laughs) you realize, oh, it's because we shoot fuck tons of rockets at them and we murder them all the time. Holy fucking shit. This I wish really I could say that. I really <laughs> wish I could say that. <laughs> right. I wish I could say that so fucking bad. But no. Growing up here, you do not question for a moment for so many people the legitimacy of the Zionist entity. If you grow up in a liberal enough place, you can question a lot of things. You can be like, if you learn that, you know, the IDF is what is in what legally is Palestine, according to the entire rest of the world, you can be like, what the fuck are they doing there? Get out, leave. 
you can question that. Maybe like, yeah, sure. Most people will find that acceptable. But anything more than this two-state solution, we are allowed to exist and they are allowed to exist. I don't know how to explain it, but it's just so blindly out of consciousness. It's not seen as an option. The idea that Zionism itself is the problem and there is no such thing as an ethical Zionist state is not something that you are allowed to say or something that will cross almost anyone's mind. Well, I think it's probably very similar to like in America, no one's this country is founded on slavery. It's founded on settler colonialism, right? It, it's it's a very existence is necessarily violent, right? Yeah. And it's never stopping that. Yet I live in America and nobody is ever questioning if America should exist. It's always America should exist, obviously. Now, how do we tweak the little details so I feel more comfortable in it? But it's never questioned whether or not this entity should be fully and utterly abolished. Um, so I would imagine it's, since Israel seems to be in many ways very similar to America and by design to be so, right? Um, It's probably similar in that regard, right? Yeah, it is absolutely very, very similar in that. And I will also add another thing. Um, In America, um, the United, or sorry, it's incorrect to call it America. America is a whole fucking two continents. In the USA, it is uh, constantly at war, constantly. And with the exception of like the revolutionary the civil war and world war ii it's never a war that concerns them it's never anyone actually threatening the u.s and the u.s having to defend itself it's always the u.s goes to a place and does the imperialism and fucks everything up and leaves with the gains of imperialism with their oil and everything and from what i know in the u.s it is not considered acceptable to say that is bad because you're killing citizens who have nothing to do with it might be acceptable to say that's bad because ooh, ooh, the poor soldier is getting ptsd or whatever (laughs) but it's not considered acceptable to say that's bad because actually you shouldn't be invading foreign countries Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and that's exactly the same in israel in israel it's considered you know, you're still called a leftist piece of shit traitor if you say, oh, it's bad because we shouldn't be sending 18-year-olds to kill for their country. Like, you're allowed to say that, but you really aren't allowed to say it's bad because we shouldn't be killing people for the crime of daring to be Palestinian on Palestinian land. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, they they erased that from the the conversation so much that it's just impossible to even yeah i guess has it has it been hard to carve out a group of friends that that can relate to you on this in israel oh yeah absolutely i mean i remember like for for years like when i was younger like i I would have have um arguments again and again with my friends like circular arguments trying to convince them that what's going on is wrong and like i'd explain things and i'd point out facts and and then like i talked to get them again like a day later and like it's like everything that happened in that argument was erased like the status quo of zionism as inherently good and pure is far stronger than anything i could say to change it mm-hmm. um but i mean it really didn't have to be that like you know when i i, I went and i met new people and obviously miss was a lot of people my age and also like 
despite that all, like there are people who I met whose minds changed and we changed each other's mind. I mean, I didn't come out of the womb as a perfect anti-Zionist. Like, mm-hmm. obviously, I just like everyone else was raised in a society that said mm-hmm. Zionism good. And it, I, I had friends around me that just as much helped me learn that it was bad as I helped them learn it was bad. Um, so yeah, nowadays, you know, I, I built me and friends built as a project, a, a group of like radical youth, like specifically under 18. And it's like, it's a project that like, maybe doesn't seem that big, like from the outside. But like, for me, it was like, extremely important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Just for like, I'm sure you like your, your mental health having to feel like, I'm I'm experiencing like not the extent of that you're experiencing, but like I have my own version of this that I'm experiencing right now where I'm I moved to a new part of of the USA and um I don't really have anyone in this area that I can relate to. I'm living amongst a bunch of cops, so it's very uncomfortable. Gosh. Like yeah, no, it's it's yeah, it's 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 US cops like neighborhood and it, it, the whole thing is just it's very uncomfortable for me as a communist who is for the abolition of all this you know um so i think for your own mental health your own sense of identity having people that and when you're in living in a fascist state having that little sliver of something that you can like feel like you actually aren't completely and utterly alone because that loneliness can completely degrade your like you're it degrades so much like it degrades sometimes your own confidence in your values and when your values are in I, i'm gonna dare say correct right uh it's it, it starts to really mess you up right and i can only really imagine um i don't know i just i'm really i'm really impressed of what you're doing i think it's awesome and not only just the the uh the action that we were discussing before but just being Israeli living in Israel being for the liberation of Palestinians and the and the and the uh, abolition of Israel if I could dare say be so bold to say that right it would be yeah um which by the way when I say abolish Israel I get tons of criticism and tons of harassment living in America I can't even imagine what it's like for you and so I yeah carving out that group it's got to be so it's it's really important, but I also can only imagine how difficult it is given the extremely oppressive like climates and like uh, the the types of discourse that is even allowed. You know, it's yeah. just you're 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 kind of a badass. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> uh, well, that's very nice of you, but I will say several things. First of all, it's very important for me to say something. What happened? A f- you know, a week ago. Now I. Yeah, about a week ago, in Abigail Stry's conference, where I was like dragged out. I guess it was unique in that it was specific violence by civilians in large groups, but the exact same same thing has happened to me with cops on a regular basis. I've I, that's happened to me so many times. There's been there was one time in Jerusalem in which I pulled out a Palestinian flag and cops broke my finger, and then there was another time in Tel Aviv in which. Palestinian flag and some random guy came and attacked us and he came we were these were weekly protests and he came like five weeks in a row every week to attack us um like I need to be clear 
people somehow pay special attention to that situation, you know, that happened a week ago. I don't know, because I did good media, because I contacted a journalist before I went in, because I worked on the framing and because it was a large group of civilians. But do not mistake this as a rare occurrence or something that is not to be expected. It is only rare in that this is not the direct right arm of the state doing it. Um, so, so, so that's part one. Now, part two on, well, I greatly appreciate your compliments. I must uh, um, point out that I uh, am not the main character of reality. The world did not start revolving when I decided that Zionism was bad. There were Israelis doing anti-Zionist action before I was born, and there were obviously Palestinians resisting since <laughs> before my grandparents were born. I joined a movement, and I don't mind saying that maybe I worked to help build and continue building movements. For example, my work with the uh, radical youth groups, sure, I can take some amount of credit for that. Not all of it, but some of it. But my connection to people was not built by me. It was built by everyone who came before me. Sure, I felt lonely and I didn't know what to do and I was scared and I didn't know how to not enlist the IDF. But what helped me was the fact that like I found groups like uh, Misalvot, which had existed before me and will hopefully exist after I move on to the next part of my activism in a different movement. Um, it is not that I built all this. No single person built all this. Uh, and that's not to mention that I do feel it is sometimes a mistake and a mistake often we anti-Zionist Israelis fought for to act as if we as a collective are the main characters of reality. And it's really not about us. Like, yeah. it is so deeply not about the amount of anti-Zionist Israelis. It's about Palestinian people who've obviously been working and building movements for years. Well, that's true solidarity, isn't it? It's not you doing a thing because it's going to make you the main character. It's you doing a thing because you're showing solidarity with X, Y, Z. You know what I mean? Whether it's trans people, whether it's Palestinian people, any kind of like oppressed, marginalized community um, or just fellow working class people, regardless um, in terms of like, you know, your and, and this is like something like I, I, I very specifically remember when we spoke to Luna Oi, it was like one of the first episodes we ever did of Red Planet or maybe it was like maybe episode 12 or something. I can't remember. Uh, but she said that like Western leftists have this like really bizarre thing where they keep talking about how it was their idea or something was my idea or I did this or I did that. And it's like, that's just not what being a leftist is about, right? It's <laughs> being a leftist is about, um, you know, supporting others uh, and solidarity. You know, it's not, it's not about doing things to be the hero, right? Ayala, did I say it right this time? Ayala, yeah, yeah Ayala, did we, have I missed this? I'm sorry, I got distracted a little bit earlier. Have we talked about how you actually got radicalized? Because I think that would be really interesting to hear, like, considering uh, considering how, um, you know, you said it's, like, really hard to actually, like, get through the, the brainwashing of the state. Like, what, I guess, like, what would be for you the moment where you went, oh, my God, this is fucked? Okay, well, several things. First of all, um, 
I think this was back in 2020. There was uh maybe before that. Um there there was increasing violence in Jerusalem. There was uh Mivza Shomel Homot, uh I think it was uh, 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 the attacks of 2021, uh, at 2020 or 2021, at the very, uh, during COVID lockdown, it was a bit, it was a bit weird, um, in which, you know, for, for a moment there, like, the world watched as, as Israel was, um, was cleansing the neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah, East Jerusalem, and in response, uh, Hamas fired rockets from uh, the Gaza Strip. Um and by that time, I can say that I was kind of a leftist and I was seeing the world, but it's very unconvincing when you hear other people say things about the country you live in and you don't see those things, right? Like you don't see those yeah. things because of apartheid. I don't see Israel oppressing Palestinians and ergo it must not happen. And they're talking about my country, so I should know best about it, right? Um I don't remember, maybe I'm mixing up some events, maybe this is things I saw before or after, I don't exactly remember, but there was a specific turning point in which I was starting to doubt what was going on. For example, like, I was very, like, against the occupation, but I didn't really think about it, and I was scared, and I didn't know what to do, and I was a kid, and I had just started thinking about about the IDF, because, you know, that I was at the age in which everyone was getting their, uh, first drafts to the IDF to show up for medical exams and shit. Um, and I rem- remember like not knowing what to do. And, and uh, I went with my parents around Christmas time uh, to uh, Nazareth, um, right? It's Christmas, it's Nazareth. It was very touristy in many ways. There was a very large Christmas tree. I must admit, I don't know if Palestinian Chris- Christians actually celebrate with Christmas trees. I don't think they do, but maybe I'm incorrect. But but I was there and I was, you know, in the big courtyard next to the big Christmas tree. And the entire place was swarming with uh, military police. Military police, Magav, are, are this special unit. They're IDF soldiers. And they technically, they're technically border patrol, but in practice, they're basically an enemy place with lots of Palestinians. Um, and they're some kind of combination between cops and soldiers, which makes them like double evil. And, and, and the place was swarming with them. And, and this guy, you know, this Palestinian guy pulled out a Palestinian flag and it was out for like three seconds I kid you not he was full body slammed by a pack of them to the floor and you know I was standing there I was a kid I had no idea what to do and I looked around me and like sure lots of people probably didn't notice it was very quick but nobody was reacting you know it was a place full of tourists full of you know lots of Israelis came to see I don't know Christians doing Christmas or whatever and nobody was reacting like, including my family with me at the time. And, like, I'm sure they just didn't notice. But, like, for me, that mental image of, like, that guy being dragged away and the woman who was with him, like, swimming after him, just, like, that night, like, I got back to, like, the place we were staying and, like, I opened, like, Miss Silvot on my phone. Like, I could... Lots of people around me don't, don't didn't have that much of a radicalizing experience. Like, no single thing that radicalized them. But for me, like... I saw that happen and I knew that I would join the IDF over my dead body. Based. 
based as hell. That rocks. Yeah. And yeah, it that is like, it's such a, that's obviously why they do it so quick, right? They do it so quick because they don't want people going up and asking questions, right? They don't want people going up like who, like, I guess it's a really insightful experience that we're sort of like having right now with like someone who's actually Israeli and, um, you know, talking to us about this stuff because, you know, all the time, I guess I think like, how do, how do, you know, regular everyday Israelis just like not see this stuff. And it's, and it's, it is genuinely because it's like suppressed so much, like you say, and, and to the point where it's like, even if anyone like, like you say, like gets a flag out and they're just straight away, like, bam, get that out of here because they just don't want people asking questions in it. They don't want people being like, um, what, what's this flag flag all about? I thought they were like trying to murder us. And then that person's obviously going to explain to him, no, you got, you got it all wrong. Um, they just don't, they don't want any kind of insight, any I kind would, of education. I would agree and I disagree. Obviously the place is entire, a propaganda minefield. There's so much propaganda, but I will say that that's once again falling for the, we are the main characters of reality plotline. Nazareth is a majority Palestinian city. It's a very important majority Palestinian city. Yeah. Far more than they're scared about any Israeli people seeing a Palestinian flag and getting the wrong idea about maybe, I don't know, Zionism is bad or whatever. They care about Palestinian people staying suppressed. They care about, you know, riots and protests not picking up once again, as has happened in Palestinian history. For example, the land day protests. Um, <clears throat> they're, they're, they don't, at no point is suppressing Israelis or preventing Israelis from seeing information, their main goal. Their main goal in that situation, as it always is, was to stop Palestinians from using their voice and talking to other Palestinians about what's going on. Of course, yeah, I I misunderstood that. I I was under the impression that Nazareth was like, not, I guess, as, you know, sort of like heavy Palestinian, uh, not occupied, um, what's the word? not a not a majority palestinian area uh but yeah no totally that that completely makes sense yeah. um um Nazareth and- specifically it's important obviously there's not jewish i mean it's a christian town and there right. aren't jewish christians so it's of course, of course and like a few monasteries there's a lot of monasteries there um yeah um that is and, and so like then you went straight on to um Messar oh I, I'm gonna say this wrong, I'm so sorry. Messervat, um you, you you went straight on to the website there and then or was it like Twitter or like did you did you reach out to someone or like what was what was like the next steps from there? Oh uh, well okay, this is going to sound embarrassing. Um the first thing I had to do at the time, Misovot has changed now. Everyone be happy. Uh, we have, uh, the youth have inflicted change on the network. Uh, it used to only have a Twitter, not a Twitter. It used to only have a Facebook. And oh. I didn't have a Facebook because teenagers don't have Facebook these days. What are we, 80? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so actually that first day, like I had found Misovot and like I read a web page about it. Say hello to my cat, everyone. Her name is Mate. Um, and uh and and so and so like honestly that first night most of what i did was wait for my phone to download facebook (laughs) um right okay but yeah then i reached out to them and and they said hey we're having like a community organizing meeting 
uh, like in, in a few days, it's in Tel Aviv. Why don't you come? And I did. And at the time, I expected them to like explain to me how not to join the IDF. That's not what happened. I think we were arguing about stickers. I think we still haven't finished arguing about stickers. <laughs> I don't know if we ever finished printing those stickers. But but yeah, it was not it was not um about that. And yet I still found a community. I found a friend of mine that I had grown kind of distant from who who was there also there for, for the first time, which was a really cool mo- mo- uh, moment for me. Um, and yeah, it was it was really cool. Uh, this is the moment in which I tell Americans in the audience, you too have orgs near your home. Join them. <laughs> yeah, we we try and talk uh, here on Red Planet like quite a lot about uh friends of the show palestine action um are you aware of palestine action ayala yeah they're the people that do um that that occupied the weapons factory in the uk yeah. right yep yeah fuck up elbit systems yeah, yeah it's really really base shit um but yeah so like this is i think this is a good opportunity to remind people they have a bail fund uh they're currently occupying a factory in leicester um so and i, I believe they're on day um i think it's day 35 of of the siege today um so yeah i i think i do think that it's just palestineaction.com um and you can you can get the bail fund there but i'll i'll um oh yeah sorry the legal defense fund it's literally sorry palestineaction or one word dot org forward slash defense hyphen fund so um yeah if you've uh, got a couple of quid chuck it over to our comrades of palestine action um who are getting suppressed by the state of the uk for trying to stop people making weapons that kill palestinian children so yeah um but yeah back to um Meservot, um ayala i think mm-hmm. um it's 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 really like interesting and important to talk about the um because there are definitely other um, organizations in in Israel as well, right? That aren't that maybe they're like similar to Meservot, but they're not um, exactly the same. So I remember it. it I'm thinking of um, oh god, the name. I'm gonna fuck up the pronunciation, so I'm really really sorry. This is really bad as well because I have like Jewish siblings and uh, like my stepdad's Jewish. Like I know I know how to pronounce some Hebrew <laughs> stuff, but like um, is it Beselet? Ah, uh, Beselet. B'Tselem, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, yeah. So you know about B'Tselem. Yeah, well, B'Tselem are something different. They are a, a, a journalist agency. Like, they, they run right. stores. They talk about the occupation. They do journalism. Hugely important. They do a lot of really, really important reporting. Um, They're not an activist group, technically. Like, I mean, they're a journalist group that obviously is hugely important for activism. We need to know information in order to protest it. But they themselves do not show up to protest as activism. But if you want like examples of some other uh, activist groups within, first of all, I can only speak to groups that are either Jewish Israeli, like Jewish Israeli groups or groups that operate within 1948 Israel. I like, I don't know about Palestinian led Palestinian groups in the West Bank. I'm sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> but um in the West Bank and obviously the Masij Gaza Strip. Um, but so, for example, we have for other people looking not to enlist, uh, Profile Slim that is uh, Profile 21 in English. 
their work is mainly one-on-one -on -one work, also with not enlisting to the IDF. They're less straightforwardly political and more strictly like actually the meat of not enlisting to the IDF. They have lawyers on hand and they can give you advice and all kinds of stuff. Um, if you're looking not for activism, but just how to get out, you might want to check them out. Uh, in addition, there's, you know, the infamous, they kind of have a chokehold on everything. Uh, in English, that would be uh, looking the occupation in the eyes. They are a group that specifically protests the 67 occupation. Um, they operate within 1948 Israel and in the West Bank. They're hugely cool. They do a lot of good work. They don't really speak about other anti-Zionism stuff like the Nakba. Um, but yeah, they focus a lot on the ongoing occupation. Um, uh, there's there's some other groups. Shovrim um, Shtika is an advocacy group and a protest group. It means breaking silence. It's a group of ex-IDF soldiers, like people who went to the IDF and are now spilling the beans on the terrible things they did as part of the IDF. Wow. It's obviously hugely important. It's important to remind everyone that like, yeah, let's be honest. Most people aren't going to see through the lies of their society at the age of 18 or 17 and a half. That's just not going to happen. Most most people who are leftists in Israel joined the IDF and then later regretted it. Like, that's unfortunately the case. Teenagers aren't known for great abilities of introspection on society. And like, yeah, I don't like that too much, but it's the truth. And um, groups like Shovlin uh, Shtika uh, um, do a lot of very, very important work. Um, there's also some other smaller groups and uh, like Shalom um, Akshav, like, uh, which are a peace movement. A lot of groups focus specifically on the occupation. There's, in addition, a group I'm closely tied with. With it, This is not a advocacy group. It's a bona fide political party. There are two of them. Chadash, uh, it's the Israeli Communist Party. It is a joint Palestinian Jewish party that seeks, you know, liberation, both for the working class and for Palestinian people. Their official stance, that is like the stance they have for uh, uh, their opinion on Zionism is that they want uh, uh, a Palestinian country and a Medinat Kol what, uh, what does that mean? Um, a country for all its citizens. They want like between the river and the sea, officially, they want a country that is a Palestinian country and another country in 48 Israel's borders that's like called Israel, but it's not a Jewish country. It's a country with no systemic racist laws. Um, so uh, it is important to point out that in Israel, it is illegal to run if you deny the existence of the Jewish state. Like if you want to oppose that, you can't run for parliament. So yeah. Um, Make of that what you will. Uh, the other group is Balad, who are specifically a Palestinian group that seeks, uh, that that uh, that that advocates for an end to the occupation and the Nakba, um, which was uh, the mass deportation of Palestinian people in 1948. Uh, Hadash also deals with it, um, and it is specific. Like it's not a communist party, unlike Hadash. Cool. And um, yeah, I think I think that's like a really interesting um, thing that's like evolved from this. It's like 
yeah yeah I, I just i just think i just think it's like so interesting like learning about the different sort of organizations like political parties and stuff like that um unfortunately I, I was just looking through the um like the the election results like they 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 have like four out of the 120 seats or something like that in in the parliament <laughs> which is unfortunate but you know it's something right it's something um well, it's important to say two things uh two important things um, there is another group which are very classificationally tricky. They're called Meretz. They are a Jewish group with almost only Jewish members that sometimes oppose the occupation and sometimes don't, depending on what's more politically useful. Okay. I, one could not call them true allies, but they're often important. Eh. Yeah, and this that they they're they're complicated. That as as liberals are oft, often art, they are very complicated. And, <laughs> True. And and uh, this year, these elections did they not pass uh, the mark of barrier? Um, they they didn't get enough votes to sit in parliament. But generally, they also get around four seats. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Um, yeah, super interesting, super super interesting, and um. So what I like, I guess what I'm really interested in about um, Masaravat in in general is like, you know, with them being like focused on the the IDF and sort of like helping people, I guess, resist conscription and stuff like that. What other kind of actions have, have Masaravat been like, you know, doing at the minute? Like, what's what's like the the big sort of drive at the minute? And um, you know, what other kind of like successful stuff have you been doing in the in the past? Currently, there are uh, two conscientious objectors in prison from Isavot. Uh One of them is Yuval Dag, um, who has currently spent, uh, he's, been, he's been three rounds in prison. And the other is one who has requested to remain anonymous, anonymous under the moniker of Dalet, which is the letter D in the Hebrew alphabet. Um, They're both currently in prison with... Um, with uh, another with another one, Sophie, uh, going to enter at August. Um, our, most of our actions surround, uh, you know, conscientious objectors in prison because it's the most obvious way one can refuse to join the IDF, even though, of course, there are other ways. Um, it surrounds uplifting them so they can uh, use their voices. It surrounds rights for, you know, people who want to refuse to join the IDF for it to be possible to do so. Um, and obviously it surrounds like, you know, being there for support, showing up to supports outside prisons, uh, showing up to protest with them, you know, explaining, we don't need to do this. We don't need to join the IDF. Yeah, that's excellent. I, th I think like solidarity with prisoners um can be such a powerful thing like we spoke to uh prison abolitionist uh, uh, uh organization in the uk and that just like letting prisoners know that you're there and there are people on the outside who are like supporting them and stuff like that is so massive and like how does how does that work with messer Mes is that like um do you send letters are the letters like you know interfered with by any way or are you allowed like a, a, a you're sort of laughing there so i'm assuming that's the case well th there's no strict rigid rules um it's, right. it's everything to point out as opposed to prison abolition um in the in anywhere basically 
It's important to remember that conscientious objectors have a special status for them because they explicitly choose to be in jail. Um, of course. Right? Like, 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 so, so it is different, the, their experience than like, I don't know, uh, a Palestinian person taken into administrative detention without knowing when they're going to trial um, and stuff like that. Um, but, but yes, so, so uh, we are allowed to send letters. We do send letters. We also do like mass letter writing campaigns and get people to send the letters and stuff. Um, uh, they are checked sometimes. I think they're also always allowed through. There's generally weird rules about who is allowed what. There were a few years in which prisoners weren't allowed pens. And then th we did a big ruckus about it and turned to like some of the bigger uh, newspaper agencies and they ran the stories about like newspaper prisoners aren't allowed pens and then they were allowed pens or like there was there was one time where like there were like banned books they keep trying to ban books they keep being like no you can't bring das capital into prison and then and then we do the same thing where like we we, we run to the media you know media that's that finds it interesting they were like here are the books that you're not allowed to read in military prison and then they're like fine fine we'll let you read the book <laughs> um it's all kind of things where like there's no inherent blanket bans, but they keep trying to pull shit. I'm with you, yeah, and and that that kind of goes sort of in it hand in hand with with the way that like a lot of people um, in the prison system, just like all over the world, any kind of prison is a tool of the state, right? And you know they're they're desperately trying to stop prisoners from being radicalized, as if the 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 very like you know, I guess, experience of being um, imprisoned by the state isn't radicalizing enough, you know, and they tell people when they get out of prison, like, don't you dare start talking with leftist organizers, don't you dare do it. Um, yeah, and, and that, yes, yeah, so that kind of goes hand in hand and to be expected, oh, I guess. A very important example of this is, um, okay, obviously, if you're in military prison, all the people there with you are people experiencing violence from the military. That's inherent to being in military prison right and so on one hand you might think like oh this is very fertile ground to like make people leftists and from what i've heard in many ways it is but there's also been intense combating several refusers i've i've talked to have said that they're not allowed to talk about politics like they're forbidden from talking about politics including like with their cellmates and stuff um and also i've you know also heard and i fully believe it you know, considering who I know, propaganda apparently runs extremely strong. Like, apparently it's very common to, like, be sitting in military prison next to people that have gone to prison for smoking during watch, and they'll be like, no, how dare you, you're a traitor, fucking Arab's whore, or whatever. Uh, that's a pretty common insult against leftist women. Um, so, 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 yeah, it's whack. Yeah, yeah, for sure, it sounds rubbish. Um, and um yeah i think um when it comes to like you know making sure that the people understand i guess i guess like i guess a lot of mesovot like mesovot's work is like making sure that people understand like what the idf do like what kind of education can you sort of i guess get away with because you know, we all know as pro-Palestinian activists, as supporters of Palestinian people, that the IDF literally just murder children. They literally just fucking, 
shoot kids who are, you know, it, it's it's every kind of fucked up. And like, what kind of, um, I guess, it, I guess that's my, my sort of question. Like, is there a way that you could like actively be like, because I, I guess you've got that, you've got that buffer, like you said earlier, where you can't really tell someone who's in their their country where they've lived their whole life and they have all this propaganda and stuff like that. You can't really just tell them like, you know, the IDF just like kills children, right? Because they'll turn around and be like, oh, well, Hamas makes children soldiers, right? And they'll say shit like that, right? Um, yeah. What? How do you get around that kind of stuff? Or is that not really conversations that Mesavot Well, does? Okay, there are two things. First of all, important for Mesavot to point out, uh, like always, it is illegal to tell people not to enlist. As in yeah. fully, completely illegal to call for people to refuse to serve the IDF. I think that more than that, it's specifically is under the category of treason. And you can get like, apparently, if it's actually enforced, a crazy amount of years in prison for it. Mm. Um, we have a lawyer who works with Minnesota Watch. She also works in Hadash. Um, she makes her every time we write like a media post or a speech or anything that every place where we where we might theoretically say something like you should refuse, which we would obviously never, ever say. We must say you must uh, we beg of you to consider uh, what you really want or mm -hmm. we want you to think about what the idea like, you know, ways in which one could theoretically say you should refuse. Not that we'd ever call tell anyone to refuse we don't do that so that's one thing so obviously Ms. Lovot is obviously handicapped and like yeah we can't tell people to refuse uh and we don't do that um but more than that oftentimes you know radicalization is complicated like we try to do it we try to work with different advocacy networks there's a group that isn't an advocacy network but is an important group called uh, Zuchot, a meaning we remember in Hebrew, that teach and speaks of the Nakba of 48, which is even less talked about in Israeli society than the occupation. Whereas it's acceptable to some degree to mention the occupation and it being bad, the mass deportation of Palestinian people during 48 is seriously not allowed to talk about even within leftist groups. I believe that this is because that the moment you realize this, you realize that there's no inherent legitimacy for Zionist Kassay. If it's built on the mass deportation of Palestinian people, then there's no ethical way for it to exist. Um, so, so, so we do, you know, we do work with them. Uh, we do work with groups like, you know, or or like share things with groups like Shovlim Shtika, which you know are, uh, as I said before, are people who were Israeli soldiers who spoke up about what they did. Um, we obviously do stuff with Mr. Klim Lucky Bushmanan. It's all complicated we try our best to talk and convince people but ultimately the best work we can do i believe is reminding people that there's a choice people can maybe from seeing our stuff and honestly more likely like seeing our stuff slowly and then choosing to learn more because we can't change anyone for them we can only help people along the way people can only change their minds if they want to but our best work is reminding people that they have a choice. They don't need to enlist. They can, as they learn more about the IDF and its crimes, choose not to participate. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. And I guess, yeah. So that's, that's another really interesting part of it because then you have um, the, 
and I'm, I'm so sorry, I have absolutely no idea how to pronounce the organization, but the guys who are in the IDF and and uh, and re regret it and they talk about their experience and stuff like that must be like a really hard thing for them to kind of get around because how do they deal with the semantics of um i witnessed the horrors of the idf i witnessed the horrors of the state of israel and, and zionist genocide against palestinians like how you know how do they word that is is, is that like a thing that they can get arrested for for like is that treason is that the same thing it's important to point out that nobody acts like it's it's a scaremongering law they can't actually enforce it what are they going to look every single one of our posts and audio clips and it's it's a law meant to make us scared and unable to speak our minds even if they can never actually enforce it but generally speaking you're allowed to say like if especially you can say i did xyz bad things i threw a tear gas canister at someone's head because they that's what my commanding officers told me to do i tied this guy up for like two days like i i don't know if that wouldn't happen i but the we point could assume here, it probably did yeah the, the 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 point here is is you are allowed you know to say exactly what you specifically did and if we're being completely honest like in popular israeli consciousness um so when she got the, the idf soldiers who who speak about speak up obviously they're not treated well like they're called traitors and all kinds of other very very bad things but because in israel the idea of having been in the idf is so important they are considered in some ways more respectable than other organizations because they can say oh i've been in the idf i served our country and i can say that it's bad uh which is something lots of zionist israelis will respect more than someone who says no i haven't been in the idf and that's good actually mm -hmm. um Israelis really don't like it when people don't join the IDF. They're so worked up about it all the time. And obviously, Misalvot, as always, aren't the main group they attack because, once again, we are not the main characters of reality. Uh, for example, in Zionist society, one of the major hated groups because of this are uh, ultra-Orthodox Jewish people who uh, don't enlist the IDF for religious reasons basically a lot of uh they they go to learn yeshivot and for some of them it's a belief that you know a a a a a, a, a belief that like learning in the yeshiva is what will protect israel and for some of them it's more like it's not our place to intervene it's god's will and some of them like there are also um anti-zionist uh ultra-orthodox groups that operate within a religious framework for why that's not the case um, all kinds of reasons and liberal Zionists hate their guts for refusing to enlist they mm -hmm. are so pissed about it um, these is our group that within the law they have an agreement called Eskema Status Quo in which they are allowed not to enlist and I cannot explain how much Zionists are frothing at the mouth about it actually I can't explain you know um pre-Holocaust Nazi Germany imagery about Jews with like massive noses and how they're rats and how they're destroying humankind and how they're a demographic menace. That's how liberal Zionists talk about ultra-Orthodox Jews. They're like, 
because these people are poor and on welfare and sometimes one of the parents doesn't work then they and the fact that they have lots of children then this is a huge menace and we cannot deal with this and this is the biggest problem in our country it is balls to the walls insane that is so fucked so extremely fucked um yeah 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 yeah. And, and i guess like there there are probably so many conflicting conversations that you might have with i don't know people people in in sort of that camp and and you know how they talk about palestinians as well and it's just it's just always been like such a yeah you know like it's it's just always been such like a, a very like i don't know like an obvious thing to me that it's like oh my gosh like jewish people have been you know absolutely persecuted genocided um all over the world and it's like just to to, to hear like this that same rhetoric like coming um through again and again I, i'm reading a good book at the minute called conflict is not abuse by sarah shulman and uh, she's a, a reformed zionist um she's a jewish lesbian woman and, and she was basically talks like a little bit about how like um oppressed sometimes oppressed people can like end up siding with um genocidal rhetoric when they're given like a bit of power i've not got to that bit yet so i don't want to talk about it too much because obviously i don't know about it but it's like that whole like you know fact that you like you hear those same things that that people were saying about jewish people like like you say pre-holocaust like and you you hear israeli people say that about palestinians and now i'm learning they say it about other israeli people who were just like you know uh it's just it's just so fucked so extremely fucked um but anyway sorry i missed a bit there because i had to go to the toilet so i'm sorry if i barged in on anything uh, there's something i want to add here which i feel like is very important There's lots of ideas that honestly are basically only on Twitter. I believe that they don't exist in real life, but there's ideas often of just because someone is oppressed, they are inherently correct or right or know the best thing to do or anything like that. And like, I need to make it extremely clear. Yeah, Israelis are oppressed. And you know what? Like in a lot of ways, sure, it's like, Israel did help Jewish people. I mean, I have two two of my great-grandparents that I got to meet in my life. Uh, The others of my family died before I was born. One of them, whose parents immigrated to to Israel in the the 1920s, they were part of the Second Aliyah. They did their thing. They were, you know, exporting genocidal Zionism or whatever. But you know what didn't happen to my great-grandmother? She didn't live through the fucking Holocaust. Then my other great-grandmother, who I got to meet, who is now no longer with us, she came to Israel after World War II, and she did experience the Holocaust. And it was bad for her. I think it's bad she experienced that. And I think it's like good that she survived it, I guess. But obviously many others didn't. Um, it's the kind of thing where like, I have trouble blaming my great-great-grandparents for what they did. Like, I'm glad they didn't live through the Holocaust. I think that's good. But why did they have to be ethnostatic about it? What I mean to say here is that there's nothing wrong, I mean, in in my opinion, which 
obviously I cannot speak for all people in all the world, but in my opinion, there's absolutely nothing morally wrong with the concept of a Jewish person living here. There's not even anything wrong with building a Jewish presence. The only issue is that Zionism as a country that is inherently unequal for Jewish and non-Jewish people cannot exist ethically in a place where other people obviously exist. Right. You can't march up to a group of people say, I'm building a country that's unequal to you and they'll build that country. Like, be ethical. That's not something possible. And that's the inherent flaw of Zionism. And it came, that flaw is what brought the Nakba and the occupation and um, the ethnic cleansing of the Golan Heights and the siege of uh, on Gaza. It's all based on that inherent flaw in which Zionism states that, you know, it states that there is a state that there um, in which, you know, Jewish people have rights that others do not. And upon which it will build, obviously, every other act of genocide. Yeah, I, I think that's such a like important analysis. And I think that's really, it's really, you know, good to, to, to hear that you like have that understanding because again it is it's like you know and my my um knowledge here may be a little um paraphrased it might not be entirely accurate but like i'm i the, the thing that really fucked with me personally in learning about like the establishment of the state of israel and the nakba and all this stuff is it was essentially um you know uh galvanized by the fact that the the british were occupying palestine um you know that it was a it was a colony right it's like part of the, the british empire um and it was just kind of like right okay you know let's let's basically like you know create the state and and i think i, I don't know the ins and outs of it i know that there were like some zionist groups that were influencing like uh, you know british and americans to do this but also like the there was like talk of and this may be wrong but like palestinians who upon hearing of the idea of um jewish people coming there after you know world war ii being like yeah they could come and live here it's fine do you know what i mean like yeah it's, of course like why would why would anyone why would anyone reject why would any like you know um uh nation rejects refugees of of genocide and war and shit well, like that first of all it's important to point out that many nations did in yeah. fact, many nations is. I mean, I, the U.S. famously turned away a boat of refugees from Germany um, because they didn't want them. Um, yeah. Like, to be clear, many people did. But that's, I'm sorry, but not an accurate understanding of history. Um, right, while gotcha, yeah. nice, it, but while it's nice to think of, of uh, Zionism as directly Holocaust-based or, like, happening right after, and obviously the Jewish state was established in 48 after there was, of course, an influx of immigrants immediately after the Holocaust. That is not correct to say that it began there. There have been um, uh, uh, waves of Zionist movements since far before that with, uh, the, with uh, for example, the second Aliyah that I mentioned earlier, Aliyah is the phrase used of people coming to Israel, um, which had already established um, uh, established Jewish Zionist communities to which there was already opposition and rightfully so because these communities even before they used physical violence did use economic violence because often these people were Euro European and they had far greater buying power than you know the Palestinian people living here under British colonial rule as a 
as a, a result, they could purchase this land, which wasn't even owned by Palestinian people. They were owned by, by landlords who weren't Palestinians. I think they were Turkish because this was back in the Ottoman Empire because this was still Ottoman Palestine. But Yali, who's watching this, will correct me on this if I'm wrong because she has weird opinions on Turkey. Um, my point here, here, here is that uh, Palestinian resistance to Zionism and Zionism itself had already started at least in... Uh, in um, 36, um, back when there was a series of riots and a very, very impressive um, uh, workers uh, strike in which uh, the Jaffa port, which was very influential, was shut down for a great many years. Then uh, 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 Zionists swooped in and were strike builders. That's what actually what allowed the Tel Aviv port to be built because they were being terrible strike building breakers. Um, right. So, so again, it is inaccurate to say that this began in 48. It's been going on before it. Um, that being said, obviously, I, I am certain that many Palestinian people did, in fact, look at the Holocaust and say, despite that all, we'd probably be willing to take Jewish refugees. I mean, the Holocaust was, was harsh. Right. Right. Yeah, 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 for sure. No, well, I appreciate, I appreciate the education. Yeah. Just confirming that because it's like, yeah, <coughs> excuse me. You can very easily like fall into the trap of being like, oh, well, you know, it was, um, uh, Israel was created because of the Holocaust kind of thing. That's, that's, that's why it exists. It's a safe place for Jewish people to go and live, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, it, it, Israel, as a whole, is always complicated when it comes to that. People who came to Israel before that were fleeing oppression. I mean, the centers of oppression in Europe before the Holocaust, they were fleeing pogroms and shit. And yeah, they were tired of living under oppression and they decided to do that by oppressing other people. Another very important thing to point out, this is hugely important and it's not talked about. Uh, there's an idea of Jewish Israelis being white and all coming from European countries. And obviously there's validity in this idea, especially since uh, during the earlier uh, emergencies of, of Zionism, there was a specific idea of justifying it by claiming to be colonialists. And they are colonialists, to be clear. But we are forgetting something here. Only half of current Israeli Jews are white or white according to international American standards or whatever because the other half are Middle Eastern, um, uh, which is to say Jews from Iraq, Iran, Taiman, uh, uh, Yarden, you know, all of the surrounding countries that had Jewish populations. And it's important to point out that, um, that, that at a certain point, right among the emergence of of the Jewish state around 48, there was a mass deportation of Jewish people from all these countries. They were kicked out in what is an extremely important example in ways in which anti-Zionism can sometimes be anti-Semitism because these Jewish people were kicked out because people decided they were spies for the Zionist entity based on nothing but their Judaism. It is important to remember as much as we talk about it that yes, it is possible to be anti-Semitic and anti-Zionist at the same time. And it can have disastrous implications because these people who were kicked out of their countries, obviously colonized countries by other places, oftentimes didn't have anywhere to go. 
Some of them might have had, might have been able to get French or British citizenship from where they live, but not all of them. And they didn't speak the right languages or trust these countries to accept them. As a result, a lot of these same people who were kicked out because of so-called alliances to Zionism had nowhere to go, but the Zionist entity. As a result, these are a group of people that, you know, could have, you know, were just normal people who had no specific reason to support Zionism suddenly, basically being forced into doing it. Um, and, and they now obviously exist in Israel and are Zionist as anyone else in Israel. Uh, here, what's important to me here to point out is that to um, several things, first of all, to explain that sometimes uh, uh, anti-Semitism disguised as anti-Zionism can be extremely dangerous as happened in history um but also also very importantly to to deny western narratives of what's happening here in that it must be exactly the same as happening there what's happening here must be white jews oppressing brown palestinians because that's what's happening there despite the fact that while obviously yes zionism is based within white supremacy and is based within a colonialist framework it does simply not operate in the exact same way on the exact same grounds. And to claim that it does is simply a failure of analysis and looking at reality. That's a really important point. Yeah, because, and and this is something as well that like you will get when, um, I mean, this is something that I've, like I'll post about something to do with uh, Palestine and you'll get all kinds of, you know, arguments as to why that's a bad thing to do and stuff like that and one of the things that i've seen um a lot of the time is like well what about all the anti-semitism from all the middle eastern states from all the arab states and it's like yes that's really bad right it's 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 obvious that that's bad like that shouldn't happen like i don't know why this is a question like do you know what i mean like what what are they trying to say yeah people keep thinking Israelis keep responding to like talking about the Nakba by like what about what happened to all the Middle Eastern Jews that was exactly the same and yes that's the fucking point right right exactly yeah doing that is bad but also doing it again in a slightly different way against Palestinians is like it's it's still bad it's just such a bizarre argument I've never understood it like uh but that is something that that they'll say right they'll they'll quote that piece of information um you know pro-Zionist people um and all stuff like that and and it's just like yeah well you know just because it was wrong there doesn't mean that it's it's right in in this sense and uh yeah you would think that that's a very obvious a very obvious talking point but 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 it's not i kind of want to wonder if i if you could expand a little bit more on what you were just talking about this the way that uh white supremacy doesn't exactly apply in israel if you had more i don't know if there's anything more you could say about that but i i'm i'm kind of fascinated because i don't live in israel (laughs) you know like Sure. Okay. Here's the thing. Obviously, Israel. I mean, it, it does you, apply, but to be clear, but yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah. When, when you look at early, early documents about Israel, especially early rough ideas on Zionism, like a uh, Herzl proposed, 
is obviously white supremacist in nature. For example, yeah. Hilton, the guy who's credited with like thinking of Zionism, first proposed a version in which this Zionist state would literally be a German colony. That is obviously white supremacism, neat when colonialism, right? But it's also uh, uh, important to point out in several ways that, for example, as much as it's a useful talking point, it is inaccurate to say that 1948 Israel, for example, is settler colonialism. Now, wait a minute before you all murder me. <laughs> that is not to say that it is not as bad as settler colonialism. Different things can be different and still equally as bad, but Israel did not operate as a base point for any other country. They weren't there to be Britain in between the river and the sea. They weren't Germany between the river and the sea. They weren't anyone. They were an invading force of people from many countries between the river and the sea. It is, while it might, it's fully correct to claim, for example, um, settlements in the in the West Bank is settler colonialism, because here we have continuation from one country into another in the name of this country. Israel itself is not from any country. It is not exactly settler colonialism, and it doesn't need to be to still be bad, um, right? Uh, it, similarly, you know, arguments about white supremacy. No one in Israel is acceptable via white supremacy. This is obvious. They are Jewish people, like Ashkenazi, like they could be European Jewish people, but still Jewish, which is obviously not white enough for white supremacists. <laughs> they could be Middle Eastern Jewish, which is double bad. They could obviously be Palestinians, which, you know, they're not white. <laughs> um, and obviously there's a, a presence and amount of Ethiopian Jews in Israel, none of who are acceptable via white supremacy. But obviously you don't need to be perfectly white in order to uphold standards of white supremacy. You know, even, even if even if all Jewish thinkers and workers in Israel are only inspired by white supremacy or doing white supremacy-esque things, it is still important to point out ways in which they can be different and still bad. Okay. Yeah, I think that's um, a pretty good um, explanation. I think we often see... Um, israel as settler colonialism because it's it's supported so much by settler colonialist imperialist powers right do you know what i mean it's supported by the oh. uk it's supported by europe it's supported by the us so yeah yeah I, f I fully understand that analysis of it for sure absolutely um we've got some very interesting questions and i'm not <laughs> like there's there's uh there's definitely room for more 100 percent. i don't think these questions are gonna are gonna um uh be um uh, too too hard to answer but also they might be a bit long it's fine if they're a bit long we've got half an hour it's not a problem um but yeah i don't know if we do should we start doing questions yeah now, Kira? Yeah. yeah sure um okay i guess the first question is from the youtube chat um from world mark windham um Let's see, uh, they were wondering about ways to support palestine and trans palestinian trans people in israel 
in Israel or in Palestine? These are two different questions. Like, I think, I think, I, are you, I, uh, are you reading the same question? I am. Yeah. 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 I think, I think whatever best answer you think is for this question, which is not a good question. Um, yeah. So like, I guess what this person is trying to ask is, um, what's the best way to support trans people, um, in Palestine and in Israel or, well, I mean, it looks, it looks like, Yeah, no, it's a difficult question. Whatever way you want to answer the question. Whatever you think is a good interpretation of that question and the answer to that. Okay, I will, I can give uh, both these answers because one of them is short in SparkNotes. If you, if there's a trans person who is in 1948 Israel, they are legally an Israeli citizen. Thus, they are not subject to the same blatant apartheid system as exists within Gaza and occupied territories. And generally, it's basically the same as for a Jewish trans person. It's important to point out that due to basically a universal tendency within colonized groups to see LGBT identity as a Western import and thus opposed, uh, that uh, Palestinian society does tend to be more homophobic and transphobic than the more westernized Israeli Jewish society. And thus this person may need more support as you know, a person that comes from an unaccepting family or group. Um, but it uh, the same uh, structures necessary to assist them are the same structures necessary to assist Jewish Israelis. Things like uh, access to HRT, uh, access, uh, specifically for trans people, access to HRT, access to surgery, ed- education on the topic, um, that kind of stuff. In the West Bank and the Gaza Strip, it is more complicated because it uh, banks on the exact same thing. Um, uh, the Israeli informational centuries, uh, uh, the Shabak, uh, extort and blackmail uh, uh, LGBT Palestinian people in order to make them um, uh, uh, cooperators, uh, people who will uh, 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 snitch on their neighbors who may or may not be doing any kind of opposition in order, uh, in order to make sure they don't reveal their identity. This is, of course, extremely complicated because, unfortunately, uh, both in parts of the West Bank and in the Gas Strip, uh, if you're discovered to be gay, you could be killed. Um, uh, that is the nature of, of, of a society that sees LGBT identity as a Western import along with as part of colonialism. As thus, the best way to help these kinds of people is obviously to donate to them to specifically if you see GoFundMes and stuff for stuff like them leaving, lots of Palestinian people obviously don't want to leave Palestine. It's their ancestral homeland. And the whole goal of the Zionist occupation is to get them to leave. But for LGBT people, oftentimes the safest thing they can do is leave. So it's important to allow people to assist people in doing that. And of course, you know, people like that are the people that would be most helped by the liberation of Palestine, as they are held both under the shackles of Israel's occupation and under the shackles of of, uh, the society around them falling for, you know, reactionaryism as a way to oppose colonialism. Um, And in those states, like, obviously, as with all Palestinian people, the best way to help is to try and work for the end of, uh, of the occupation.
I think that's a super based answer. Thank you very mm -hmm. much. And we've got another from World Mount Wyndham. Uh, less of a question and more of a check-in. Have you been okay after being physically dragged and then singled out on Twitter? Physically and online dragged. How is it going, basically? Um, well, again, I said, I am unfortunately used to it. Cops be violent. Fellow protesters who are Zionists be violent. Um, you know, my friends attended Jerusalem Pride this Thursday, and you know what they got? Violence from cops, because they were being leftists and holding a Palestinian flag or standing so near someone who held the Palestinian flag. It's important to remember that while what I was done was more televised or seen, does not make it different from the norm. Uh, and thus, I feel like on the physically dragged part, I am doing great. I knew exactly what would happen to me. And that's exactly what happened. And I was fully okay with it. And I'm just kind of the kind of person that that stuff can happen to me and it doesn't phase me. I will say this, this might um, sound weird, but uh, immediately afterward, I got like bombarded by a lot of groups from like the Israeli news and stuff asking me questions. That was so stressful. The news are the worst organization in the world. No, okay. The news as a group, have a tendency of not seeing the people they interview as people but instead as like possible stories they do not respect your boundaries do they not respect you for what you actually want to say but only what you can do for them the worst thing that happened after the event was the the bombardment i got from like the different news stories that finally they said it, they care about what i say as long as i'm not talking about palestinian people mm -hmm. and they did lots of bullshit um and then half of them cut the interviews I did because I talked too much about Palestinian people. Uh, uh, the Twitter thing, it's the kind of thing that can really get you. But fortunately, I can say like I do lots and lots of activism in real life. I know lots of people in real life. I no longer need the validation or unvalidation of random weirdos on Twitter. Twitter for me, I look at it and I'm like, wait, that's not fucking real. These 500 TERFs that found me, they are literally on like halfway across the world. They're not real. I don't know them in real life. The, the response from people I know in my real life has been overwhelmingly positive. And that's what matters. It's not what some random person in the UK who is being weird thinks about me. Yeah, and also 200 of those accounts, 200 of those 500 accounts are probably just the same person. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I vibe with that 100%. Fuck being online. Mm -hmm. Being online sucks. It's the worst thing ever. Um, yeah, touch grass. It's so much better. Um, do you want to read the next one, sweet Kara? From Moon on Moon. Um, the Israeli contestant on your in Eurovision was praised by the hosts on my country's national television for joining the IDF as a woman on the basis of progressiveness as, as women in the army. How would I begin to point out to my less woke family and friends why that isn't at all a good thing? What would be a good starting point to explain why Zionism is bad? Well, I would start by saying that uh, it's not really needed to base all that. <laughs> Oh, oh, okay, hang on. I will start by saying the reason it is weird to applaud um, for joining the IDF as a woman that all women in Israel or almost all of them join the IDF. Like, 
Uh, it's important to point out how much of a cultural institution in Israel the IDF is to the point where not joining it is considered really weird and as weird as not going to high school. So that's part one. It's not really progressive for if she was forced to do it by law and also everyone be doing it. Um, the other thing, though, is I think basic acknowledgement of Israeli war crimes, you know, people who aren't Israeli don't have the same weird propaganda thing. If you talk to them, if you tell them uh, uh, Muhammad Tamimi was killed four days ago by Israeli soldiers and he was literally two and a half years old, that's kind of helpful on its own. You don't really need to have more of an argument except for killing children is really bad. Yeah, like that, that I would I would argue that's like you can't get easier than that like you know not even not even remotely capable of being a child soldier not even remotely capable like so you can't you don't even have to like defend from that argument like an actual baby like an actual small two-year-old baby and this isn't even like the first time that this has happened um you know and i think one of the biggest like most eye-opening things um that i learned about what israel does to palestinians is like the actual removal of the ability to have clean water and non-contaminated food and the fact that they like constantly test gas uh weaponry on their um you know crops and stuff like that and and just like the prison labor and all this kind of stuff of like specifically like palestinians etc like you know it's just it's just quite so there's so much that you could choose from it's like it's so wide you know whenever anyone comes back to you with these arguments that say like oh it's a complicated issue it's not a complicated issue like it really isn't you can't you can't just i guess like the the thing that i would say to you is that you can't just sit there and let someone tell you that it's a complicated issue when you know in your heart of hearts that it's like definitely not right because everybody knows everybody who sees it and everybody who understands like you know the the genocide of palestinians will know like this isn't that complex this isn't that complex like actually it's just really really fucking bad and it just needs to stop and that's the end of it like you know any kind of like people who will say to you oh well you know hamas are always like you know killing people and they're always shooting people and it's like yeah that's what happens in war that's what happens in genocide like what do you think what do you think is going to happen you think there's not going to be any resistance to stuff like this like palestinians are just going to be like okay yeah fine you know um, I mean, it, it is, uh, it's, it's not complicated, it's easy to feel, make it seem complicated when it's easier to identify with one side. Because right. okay, Hamas, let's be honest, probably shouldn't be shooting missiles at civilians. I don't like right. it when missiles are shot at me. I mean, I've, you know, lived in a place, as all Israelis do, where like they're regularly like missile alerts and we go down to the bunkers and I don't like that. I prefer missiles not be shot at people. Shocking, shocking. Um, or like, you know, a while back during the Antifadas, there was like lots of people that would go on random buses and blow themselves up and all the people on the bus with them. And like, yeah, I would kind of wish that didn't happen. In that case, it is complicated in which there is no moral side. If you look at it and it's like Israel's shooting civilians and Hamas is shooting civilians, then that means these are the same. But this is a complete ignorance of material conditions. 
Israel is, shoot, is, is um, shooting civilians in order to be able to maintain the Zionist state that is inherently violent. Hamas, while it definitely shouldn't be shooting civilians, is doing so in reaction to almost a century of violence from Israel. Obviously, that doesn't justify it, but it does make it make sense. Honestly, if I was a Palestinian citizen living in the West Bank who didn't have access, like, and I was like living in the Gaza Strip and I didn't have access to clean water and the only Israelis I've ever met or seen were soldiers pointing guns at me, then honestly, yeah, I probably wouldn't like them too much either. And maybe I'd want to throw missiles at them too. Um, it Like, it is complicated in that there is no right side because both sides are doing unethical actions, but to frame it as equal sides when one of them is a massive military regularly killing people to a very large degree and the other is far small of a far smaller group, that makes it, you know, not the same. Yeah, exactly. Um, we have a late coming question and um, it's a little bit difficult to pass. So I'm going to just communicate with this person in the chat, um, Willada. Um, and she says, if this is not talked about as it was very late, is there any info from older people that remember it was different being passed on to younger people or is very recent history not talked about because it could lead to bad subjects? I think that what she's trying to say is like, are there people who were old in uh, in Israel who remember the, I don't know, the, the Nakba for what it is kind of thing and are trying to pass it on to younger people? I, I, mean, I, I imagine that's what she's trying to say. But... Yeah, there are Palestinian people who remember the Nakba and talk about it. You know, you can, I mean, my great grandmother, like she's Jewish, obviously. And like, she was there at the time. She was even part of the Palmach, which was one of the Zionist militias. Um, and and like, obviously, she doesn't talk about it because she kind of supports it. Like, yeah, that's yeah. Unfortunately, Zionists who were there at the time, at least every single one of them I've talked to, are generally for the Nakba because uh, they like the Jewish state, and that's was necessary in order to create it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. I was I was thinking that it's like you're not really gonna. Again, it's like it's trying to pass apart the 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 brainwashing and the propaganda and and everything, um, you know, of of recent history. Even if it's even if it's as far as far back as the Nakba, like you know, everything from uh, uh you know, Zionists is gonna be a pro-Zionist thing kind of thing. You know what I mean? And it's yeah, it's 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 not gonna be as simple as that, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I think that's the end of the questions for now. And, um, yeah, I guess, I guess we should just finish with just thanking you for coming on. Um, is there anything that you want to plug before we let you go? Um, yeah, I mean, I recommend everyone check out at Missilvot. Uh, I'm biased, but I think they do fantastic work and you can check them out on Twitter and TikTok and Instagram and Facebook if you're a million years old. Uh, and yeah. Uh, I don't know if you want, I guess you can follow me on Twitter, even though I'm not that interesting. Uh, I'm at Bamikova on Twitter. Um, and yeah, uh, freedom and equality from the river to the sea. I don't uh, don't have much else to add. Oh, I know one thing, minorly con controversial statement that's uh, 
tacking on to the end here just because I wanted to talk about it and I didn't really have a better time to talk about it. I will say that there's an issue of, I feel kind of leftist conflating things that are different as the same thing, even though they're different and not the same thing. For example, um, what's happening in the US right now is often referred to as a transgenocide. And even though my full support is with US trans people, like people who are trans in the US and the UK, in which situations is obviously terrible. I mean, for years in the past, it was illegal to be gay or to be trans. And it wasn't a trans genocide then because the camps weren't actually built. And now, and like in the past, there were people with no access to gender affirming care. It wasn't the genocide then, like both because either the care didn't exist and trans people still did, or, you know, because simply the absence of access to medicine does not in itself a genocide make. I do feel there's value to understanding sometimes that words do have meaning and it's value to use them appropriately in order to be able to communicate our experiences. The fact that there's a massive regressive pushback on all kinds of laws about trans people does not in itself a genocide make and I feel like it is in some ways a bit disrespectful to, you know, actual genocides that are going on to claim that simply removing access to medicine, which in itself has obviously not always existed, is in itself a genocide and not simply bad and wrong without being a genocide. But okay, I, I will say that uh, that's not the extent of what is happening, though. There's far more than just removal of healthcare. For instance, children are being actually taken from their families because they're I, trans um, yeah. and or people have to like flee states because of how they're being persecuted actively. Um, so it, it's and um, I don't I don't want to turn this into like a whole thing, but like I, I think that um, I I'm not trans myself. Neither is Mule. So. I, I wish we had far be it from us far be it from us right. to, to say right, right. Yeah, yeah. um and yeah and you and you are trans so like i, I don't want to well american i'm willing to accept that maybe i'm incorrect on things going on in america right yeah like and and the thing is like whenever it america is also uh kind of in a massively in flux at the moment because of how much um transphobic legislation like 500 bills or something are being mm -hmm. like like it's constantly just trying to they're trying to continually yeah. push his legislation to make it illegal to exist as a trans person or to be associated with people that are trans things like that um to have your oh. i mean people's kids have already been taken from from their parents because they're those kids are trans or the parents are allowing for trans children to exist in the family so what, yeah. what i wanted to say though is again to be completely clear, what is happening in the U.S. is terrible and horrifying and should not happen. And honestly, maybe it is kind of like language policing of me to say, oh, no, you shouldn't call it a genocide. Like, it really doesn't matter what it's called. What I wanted to say, though, was like, um, let's look at like the 1940s, right? The 1940s, being gay was illegal and being a crossdresser was illegal and there was no access to gender affirming care. And yet I still argue it would be incorrect to claim that at the time there was a transgenocide, even though children were absolutely taken from their parents and institutionalized for being gay or trans, or like parents would put their kids in institutions, or, you know, being gay was literally illegal and there would constantly be raids on gay bars. 
And yet, despite this all, I haven't seen people talking about this period and claiming a literal actual genocide was being instated because factually these people were not being killed by the state, even if the state was obviously doing lots of things that led to their deaths. I feel like currently we're at a period, you know, in which a lot of laws are passed to be very similar to say the US in the 1940s, in which obviously it's bad and bigoted, but not necessarily to correct call it a genocide. But maybe I'm just being weird and identity and like language policing. I'm fully willing to accept that. I th- I think I can understand where you're coming from, especially as um a Jewish person. Um and there's definitely gonna be people who disagree. And it's one of those things we don't host a debate show here. So there's no real, <laughs> there's no real debate that I'm interested in having regarding this. Um, but with regards to your, you know, um, your 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 work that you're doing with Mesavot and everything else that you've been doing, like standing up to Abigail Schreier, really, really massive kudos to you. And I really appreciate that. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for coming on and, and, and chatting to us. No problem. My apologies for all the technical difficulties along the way. I promise I really did my best. Um, <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. You did amazing. Thank you. All right. Well, it was great. It's uh, 1 a.m. So I will be leaving to go to sleep, hopefully. Uh, <laughs> good night. Take care. Thanks so much for being here. Solidarity. Bye. Bye. Right. Well, thank you so much, uh, everybody, for tuning in for that show. I thought there was some really, really good stuff there. I think it's important for us to learn um, about what it's like to resist, uh, you know, the state of Israel from within it. Um, And I think that um, Ayala had like some really, really important, um, you know, insights for us there so please make sure you go and follow uh Mesavot over on twitter support the struggle um support our comrades in israel who are wanting to um you know escape forced conscription and uh yeah but in the meantime chatters we want you to do something extra based we want you to do something extremely important and extremely based and that is give us money that's right that's right it's that time and we're going to talk about it right now um it's the red planet patreon we literally have uh 98 patrons you're all amazing you're all wonderful and we have a little goal that we want to that we want to hit because we currently have um you know an amazing Conrad, an amazing producer who does so much awesome work for us we have a Conrad we have a Conrad <laughs> You can have a Conrad too. <laughs> no, that's false no. advertising. Oh, He's only oh, ours. <laughs> oh, we have the only Conrad. That's amazing. Just the one. The, Just the, the one. In the whole in the whole world. <laughs> um, but yeah, we are currently trying to get enough money to uh, hire an editor. An editor would be really really good for us from uh, uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, not only would um, uh, it improve the quality of the show because we would be trying to do lots of little quips a lot more to actually like, you know, segment off and put into like TikToks or whatever. I don't know. We'd be trying a lot harder, basically. And I don't want to say that we're not trying hard right now because we are. We definitely 100% are. Um, I'm trying hard. I'm trying so hard. I'm trying so fucking hard right now. 
<laughs> and um yeah but it also means that we could do some awesome in the field stuff like me and sophie have spoken about previously potentially going to the zad if you remember um or speaking to isa and jay from o and also um we could also go to stuff in the uk like you know go to some squats etc do some filming do some filming of some activists etc 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 and we could yeah film that make it into a little video and then you've got more red planet content imagine that how good would that be so mules where can people find you you can find me uh in my uh, sick fuckedness uh all over my youtube channel which is dj mule it's spelled dj m-u-e-l uh i have got a recent video out it's called berserk is a queer polyamorous love story it's really good you should watch it it's the best thing i've ever made and i'm also on twitch i've not been streaming for a couple of weeks but i will be back streaming tomorrow i'm very excited to get back to streaming um and it's the first week of the month which means that i'll be doing a special stream that we do on the first uh, wednesday of the month which is trash bingus where i play terrible games uh and chat plays bingo alongside that and they can win good games by watching me play terrible games and desperately waiting to tick off a box so that's that but Kira, what about you? Where can we find you? What do you do? What's going on? Well, thanks. Thank you for asking, Mule. Um, didn't expect this. Um, so yeah, you can find me everywhere as Kira Chats. It's twitch.tv slash Kira Chats, twitter.com slash Kira Chats, discord.gg slash Kira Chats. Everyone's welcome, by the way. Subs gets a special uh, channel access to a very special private sub-only channel. But um, everyone's welcome to join discord.gg slash Kira Chats. I'm, I'm a Discord goblin at this point. I'm always in Discord. I've like kind of like gone away from Twitter because of the whole, you know, situation. And um, I've been just like living like a gremlin in Discord. So if you ever want to hang out, that's where I'm at. Discord.gg slash Kira Chats. Um, my Twitch stream, like I said, twitch.tv slash Kira Chats. But you can find all my links, including my not safe for work links and... Uh, I also have to mention I am a sex worker. I don't know how that ties into all this, but I also have links in my link tree, linktra.ee slash Kira Chats. Again, all of it's Kira Chats and you can find my links there. But uh, That sounds yeah. incredible. And you should also go and check out our absent comrades. Um, poor Tim. Poor Tim has been forced on a plane to go to somewhere in Aotearoa, he's gonna murder me for saying that wrong. Um, And uh, poor, sweet, beautiful Sophie, she's been forced to have a birthday because it's her birthday and she's amazing and we love her very much. Please check out uh, Tim, uh, twitter.com forward slash dreadconquest, twitch.tv forward slash conquest of dread. And also he's on Linktree, so linktree.ee forward slash dreadconquest. And also Sophie, is on linktra.ee forward slash Sophie from Mars, all one word. And she's pretty much that on everything apart from Twitter and Twitch where she's Sophie underscore FRM underscore Mars. So please um, go and show her some love because she I also, is amazing. I also think that um, we're all on Blue Sky except for you. I'm not on Blue Sky. I don't know how you get it. I don't know what's going on. I don't understand it. The, uh, yeah, I'm getting a voice in my ear from Conrad. They won't let Conrad on. Um, I guess we're just too sick. We're just you too know why much they don't like Conrad onto Blue Sky? Why? Because we don't have enough patrons. That's what it is. I knew it. That's probably why they're not letting me on either, right? That we don't have enough patrons. 
Oh my god, if you want to if you want to see me on Blue Sky, you better give us money. That's what that's how that's going to mm-hmm, work. Definitely mm-hmm. uh, not a guarantee. I can't confirm that. Um anyway, not a guarantee, but it can't hurt. <laughs> can't hurt to try, can it? Um <laughs> so yeah, incredible news. Thank you so much everyone for checking us out. Also, we should say as well, uh this is an important thing that we need to mention. The first bit of Red Planet merch the Queer Existence is Resistance shirt is now available from mercenarycreative.com. Please go to mercenarycreative.com forward slash products uh, hyphen page. And and that's and that's it's a long link. It's a long link, but you can go there and you can find it. You'll be able to you'll be able to see which one it is. It's it's got it's right at the top of the page. It's got a cool um like uh, uh, lighter thing with like a hanky and some poppers coming out. The hankies come out, the poppers. It's like a Molotov. It's really cool. It's really, really cool. Um, so yeah, go and get that and uh, wear it everywhere because it's fun and good to do. But that's it from us. Thank you so much. Uh, we love you all. Uh, please subscribe to us all over the place. YouTube, Twitch, TikTok. We should get on TikTok. We should start doing that again. Anyway, that's the end of the show. <laughs> Bye. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Red Planet. If you enjoyed the show, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell all your comrades about it. Find more on the show, including where to watch live at redplanetshow.com. Follow us on Twitter and TikTok at red underscore planet underscore TV. And there's even more at our Patreon, patreon.com slash red underscore planet. Our music is by Jasper Byrne. Red Planet is produced by Conrad Zimmerman in association with Mercenary Creative. See you next week.